everybody, and welcome back to some interseason goodness from the sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, it's Matt Stogden. Hello. Hey, Matt. How are hey. you? I'm tired. Excellent. The clocks went back or forward or whatever they fucking did, and it's arbitrary <laughs> and nonsense, and I hate it. The clocks and... did things. We, we're all confused yeah. and tired. Nobody That's asked them to, but apparently we all expected to. <laughs> Speaking of confused and tired, also joining us, it's Tim Matum. You sound like you're from London. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically enough, I'm the th- one of the three of us that's not from London, <laughs> even though my family's from London, but I was born in Norwich, so <laughs> I- I'm the non-Londoner of the three of us. It's much. in you. It's it in is, you. Yeah. My dad's a proper proper Cockney bloke, so. born in Hack around Hackney, I think. So yeah, it's East London, don't you? Yeah, he's East. So if you haven't already guessed, listeners, we're talking about. London in films. And this was voted for on Patreon because our patrons get to vote on a particular city or a particular mm. topic every interseason. And this episode, they had a few choices and London came out on top, representing Britain and the UK for some reason, even though a lot of our audience is in America and international. But yeah, people want us to talk about London. It, so it was talk quite, about a, London. quite a storm as well. It won really well. It was like, well, like, yeah. not like a, a close one. It was uh, New York and Tokyo were the other options. They were the options, that's right. And yeah, I thought, considering we have an American, you know, reasonable American audience, we might have yeah. chosen that. But the patrons <laughs> and <weebs>. spoke. <laughs> True. The patrons spoke and chose London. And speaking yeah. of patrons... You can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers and support us on a variety of different levels. You can get early access, ad-free episodes. You can vote on episodes just like they did for this episode. You can even get exclusive merch, exclusive bonus content and outtakes, loads of other good stuff. And you can even become an executive producer and get a shout out on the show, just like these fine gentlemen. Jonathan Firth Clark. The Queen of England does not attend exhibitions of public lewdness, so something is out of joint. Mike Salvia. Jesus Christ, you could choke a dozen donkeys on that? And you're ugling over 100 pounds? What do you do when you're not buying stereos, Nick? Finance revolutions? The man known as Xenos. Please, sir. I want some. More? Josh van der Sluis. Who says it's a Camberwell carrot? I do. I invented it in Camberwell, and it looks like a carrot. Josh Miles. You there, boy. What, me? Uh, that is, uh, what, me, sir? What's today? Pardon? What's today, my fine fellow? Today? Well, today is Christmas Day. And Andy Steen. Winds in the east, mist coming in, like something is brewing, about to begin. Can't put me finger on what lies in store, but I feel what's to happen, all happened before. I'm sorry, where was I? Thank you very much for your support, gentlemen. We really appreciate everything you do for us. You make this show possible, and you allow us to make the show free for everyone else. You make the show bigger and better. We've expanded 
an amount of episodes per season. We've included more interseason content. We're doing more bonus content than ever before. We're doing live streams, all thanks to you lovely patrons. And if you'd like to join them, you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers and support us on there as well. Thank you very much, everybody, for your continuing support. So, Landoners, <laughs> Matthew, Timothy. Hello. What's what's all what's all the big smoke all about then? So here's the thing. Um <laughs> London is a complicated uh, place because it is a melting pot of just just a, of a variety of Britishness. Um you've got extreme poverty, extreme wealth, um all sorts of ethnicities, all sorts of nationalities residing within London. It uh has evolved over the years and so on and so forth. And it's, there's a lot of things and it's also some, a point of contention and resentment across the rest of the country as well. So for a few example, if you say, oh, we're going to be holding a festival, we're going to be holding a convention, we're going to have an appearance at a concert, one showing only, London, and everyone in Manchester and Liverpool and everywhere else goes, fucking hell's sake, but in their own <laughs> accents. Um, it, it is the epicentre of culture and corruption by design. And I say this as someone... I mean, it's, it's our capital. Like, it it yes, kind of makes precisely, sense. Yeah. yeah. But I say this as someone who absolutely adores London. I have a tattoo on my shoulder, which is the uh, the coat the of arms, po- the pauldron. London. Yeah, yeah, and I, I have it uh, because I am very much defined by a lot of things in my life, obviously, and things things I did not choose. I will not say I am born in London, therefore I'm better than anybody else. That's <laughs> bullshit. How dare but, you, sir? <laughs> but I'm born in London, therefore I have um, such a distinct appreciation for the city uh, because, again. I have projected so much of my um, upraising and my family's there. And yet it is also responsible for so many fucking atrocities, so many terrible things. It's a center of a seat of government that's caused horrors around the world. It is both a symbol of hope and fun as well as oppression and fear. And it's like, how is this so divisive? It's like, because as Jack said, it is the capital of an ex-empire. So it's a very loaded term. If you say London, people go, "Oh, swinging sixties London! Oh, London's so cool!" If you're, oh, you're from you're from England? Yeah, I live in England. Oh, how close is that to fucking London? Was it? Well, London's <laughs> the capital of England. Yeah. Sure, but, yeah, internationally, a lot of people condense down the entirety of the UK. It was like, okay, so you've got London, you've got Scotland, I think, which I, th- I think that's north, <laughs> and that's about it, right? It's like. You know, Wales and Northern Ireland exist, right? Yeah. Like, what? No, yeah, we know Ireland Wales exists. Wales are fish. No, no, no. There's Northern Ireland, which is a whole other thing. Oh, God, what's, yeah. What's a whale? I'm like, no, 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 no. Right, right. So West, there's a thing called Wales. And yeah, the, the geography yeah. of the UK, I, I'm totally guilty of this myself in terms of thinking about US geography because I've never been to the US. Sure. I know like coasts and like the big famous ones. Like I know Texas is in the middle and the south and all this kind of stuff. Like... But I couldn't tell you, like, where's Oklahoma? I don't fucking know. Could be anywhere. Could yeah. be could be east, could be west, could be north, could be south, could be in the middle. I have no clue. You, you can go further with that. Is Oklahoma a city or a state? Most people go, oh, you, mm, it's both? both. Is it both? It? It's both. <laughs> yeah, it's both, <laughs> technically. But I think um, that happens a lot with the UK. Like, yeah. because, we're, because we have such a huge cultural impact, especially in, like, pop culture and what we're talking about in terms of films and stuff like that. Yet we're so small. It's un like geographically speaking, and even population wise, we are so much smaller than so many other of the the big kind of cultural big hitters around the world. That like Texas is bigger than like most of Europe, and you're like, what the fuck? That's terrifying. And yet, London has this huge influence around the world, and it's this relatively small city compared to 
many other places. I'm thinking of like Tokyo, like places like Moscow and um, even like Delhi and uh, India and Calcutta sure, and India sure. and all this kind of stuff. Like well, London's really not that big of a city, but it has had such a cultural impact and is such a kind of definitive icon for Britishness for both bad and good. Everybody thinks, oh, it's Big Ben. It's the Houses of Parliament. It's Buckingham Palace, all that kind of stuff. All that shit is in London. Nobody goes, oh, it's Norwich Cathedral. Literally no one thinks of Norwich Cathedral. <laughs> Salisbury Cathedral. It's so important sure. to Russians. Um, yep. I was going to say that I think that comes down to uh, elbowing. Uh, I think if you put it like this way, in terms of culture, whether it's music or novels or films or TV or whatever it is, everybody is uh, represented or everybody's city, everybody's area is represented by a person at a very busy bar except London is a big, fat, broad motherfucker because he's eaten all the fucking food over the years and he muscles it. <laughs> he has no problem. He's not going to wait. He's going to muscle past, slam his hand on the bar, thinking that means he gets him in first. It's like, oh, I've, got, I've marked my place at the bar. Waves a fucking tenor in the air and shouts two pints. And it's like, of what? Two fucking pints. And it's like, oh, <laughs> that guy's the guy I remember because he was an asshole. Um, and if you think about films, if any American, um, usually like... Family friendly movie like like an agent Cody Banks or some bullshit. It's like, oh God! You're going to London, London. That's right. You're going to London, and then London calling. That's the Big Ben, and it's like, oh my God, where are we? I can't remember if it was. It might have been Patrick H. Willems, a YouTuber we mentioned fairly regularly on this show. Fantastic guy. If you go and check him out on YouTube, he did a thing where it was two different films did the intro to London, and they do the intro to London Calling, which is the, the song by The Clash, yes. if you're not, not aware. Um, and they both did the like cut between Buckingham Palace, Big Ben, the Thames, and just go with all the cuts in yeah. time with the drums. Mm. And then a double-decker bus, a double-decker bus drives past who goes, dang, 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 But London Calling's like, did you know these are two completely different movies? Yeah. <laughs> this is literally the same shot. It's not literally yeah. the same shots, but for all intents and purposes, mm. they well are be. completely interchangeable. Like, oh, we're going to London. Yeah, London calling. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, there's the clash. Fuck's sake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of and course. yet these are the things that people... This, this is always a, a, a very much a point of contention in this country. People talk about... And I'm not going to get talk too much about politics, although we may have to end up talking about it. The idea that people think, oh, Britain, oh, we're so loved around the world. We're not. Um, and people love our... Whatever we provide. What do we provide at the minute? Well, you know, tourism is all about kind of London. all coming over, aren't they? Blogging up my streets and stuff. Right to do what? They love the S- see the Queen. Nobody gives yeah. a fuck. They come to see the buildings, and because of the films, and the music, and the theatre, that's the the things they come for. The art and the things we nicked and put in a museum. Now, now, Matthew, <laughs> we do provide a very valuable service to the rest of the world, which is money laundering <laughs> <laughs> via the Cayman Islands. Um, yes, that is that is true. We're all about that uh, sweet, sweet corruption. Yes, um, but again, I, I can't stress this enough. That all comes down to lazy writing. Um, you will, ha- I mean, even even like you know the fact that the if you start to say who is the biggest musical influence on the world that has come from Britain, you pause and think, well, you could say Elgar, I guess, if you want to be really fucking pretentious about it. Like, no, no, who? And most people will end up saying the Beatles. And you're like, yes, the fucking Beatles. Um, I know statistically numbers wise One Direction have outsold them or whatever it needs to be but the Beatles is the one and to this day people won't go Liverpool? It's like name me a Liverpool landmark <laughs> what's the river? 
Tell me you right know, now. You know, know, if I can one. sing about it all the, the time. The, that one with the, the Thames, the, the, the Thames. Yeah. <laughs> like fucking hell. It's the Mersey, <laughs> if you don't want to know. Um, but and I'm not. I'm not just talking about uh, abroad as well. This is true of people in Britain. The oh, second absolutely. you get something yeah. that isn't set in, people moan about it all the time. Oh, oh, it was bloody London. It was always on screen. Bloody London. You can't get away from bloody London. Oh, it's where all the jobs are, apparently. It's like, we're now going to set this in Leeds. Fucking Leeds. Why are we in Leeds? Leeds got <laughs> fuck all. And you're, you're like, doing the Leeds accent as well. I know, yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of the point. It's like, the only time Leeds was on the news in the last 10 years, it's like, where did the 7 7 bombers come from? Leeds. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's one of those very weird moments of this country has a real north south divide. Mm, and the south, still, yeah, yeah, the south starts outside the M25, um, basically, which is the, with a ring sort of motorway that goes around London, and and it's 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 a, it's very tricky because I do think it just comes down to what's convenient. We're going to film in Britain, okay, great. Well, we mean London. It's very expensive to film in London. It's very awkward to film in London. It's like, yeah, but we can't be fucked. Go to Pinewood, you'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting you mentioned the north-south divide as well. And this is definitely something I'll touch on in one of my picks later on is the the diversity of like landscape and especially accents yeah in England just in England not even talking about the UK not even talking about the Welsh or Scots or Northern Ireland or even Ireland outside of the UK yes just England considering how geographically small it is the diversity of accents is absolutely mental mm-hmm. and loads of people even English people ourselves British people struggle with accents like understanding a really strong Liverpudlian accent from Liverpool or Mm -hmm. a northern accent from Lancashire or Yorkshire or going down to Cornwall and the Cornish accent is a whole other thing. Or even here in Norwich, we have a wacky fucking farmer accent here in (laughs) Norfolk. And I can say that because I'm from (laughs) here. There's both a Norwich accent and a Norfolk accent. That's a Uh, very common one. Yeah, you'll get the city variation of the county accent. They sound the same. Oh, God. They literally sound the same. It is. It's... (laughs) It's fascinating because, you know, and obviously when we talk about movies, we often talk about America and like the geographical difference between England slash the UK and America is so stark because America is so fucking big. Um, mm-hmm. And the way that cities function in America is so different. And and we're, we're in Norwich. We're two hours by road or by rail. <laughs> no, two hours by road. Seven hours by rail, because fuck this country's train. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, from London. And in America, we'd probably be considered a suburb of London. Whereas, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas as much as London is like sprawling and is increasingly, you know, there's there's towns and cities around London that basically just feed people into London every day. But mm-hmm. you can still, like, there are people who will very very vehemently be like you're not from london you're from essex because you're you know you're from like romford which like is sort of technically london still greater but, london yeah, yeah some point contention with romford yeah. yeah and those are the kind of as far as i'm aware not not having grown up in america but like i don't think those distinctions happen as much because they're because they're more spread out though the the, the those tiny differences that we obsess about are less of a thing. Um, but it's so, you know, with it, you would get almost nowhere in America where you would have cities clustered as close together that have individual identities. You know, like I can, I've been to Leeds and York and they're half an hour apart, 
and yet each city has a distinct identity and people who were from Leeds have would, would never claim they were from York and people who were from <laughs> York would never claim they're from Leeds you know yeah, and wouldn't wouldn't dare say that to somebody from Leeds or York yeah exactly um and yet real realistically speaking you know they're so close together but also the British psyche like an American will think of nothing of like driving two hours to see a gig and then driving two hours back that night yeah whereas to a british person like if it's if it's more than like half an hour journey you're like that's fucking ages away why would i bother <laughs> doing that yeah the, like, the, the american geography melts my brain when i hear people like even say like i drove four hours to this concert mm. like, are you mental yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd be in i'd be in fucking manchester yeah. like, what you, i would never think like oh that band's coming to manchester i better get a ticket i'm thinking well manchester's miles away i'm I'll wait for them to come to Norwich or London. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm not going to go all the way to Manchester. Are you mental? <laughs> yeah. I know, so we, we were talking about this on the Discord, funnily enough, because yeah, we have, yeah. again, quite mm. a split in kind of a British and American and then other international um, people in the Discord. And the Americans are like, yeah, yeah, and you know, you drive like four, five, six hours to a thing. I've got a three and a half hour commute. I'm like, sorry, what? <laughs> a three and a half hour commute? <laughs> Nobody in Britain would like actively go like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to live in Norwich and work in Birmingham. Mm. Are you a mental go yeah. and live in Birmingham? What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, yeah. with our fucking transport systems. Well, and that's the other <laughs> thing. Like, so much of our... Uh, despite all of that, if you look at public transport especially, which, you know, is still quite a significant thing in Britain because we're not as designed for roads as, as America, um, or even certain places like Germany, which have, like, mm. built much more efficient road systems and stuff like that... Um, a lot of public transport radiates out from London. And if you want to, like, on a on a big scale, like, if I want to go to, you know, um, I don't know, like, Brist- Bristol or Scotland oh, or something, Bristol, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's often I'm going into London and then out again to get somewhere yep. on public transport. Yep. And- to, to go north, you go west and then up. because Obviously, yeah. because Norfolk, where we are now, is so far east. Yeah. To put it in perspective for listeners who don't have a kind of concept of yeah. english geography yeah but yeah you have to go via london for everything it's like it's so strange yeah and even zooming in on london like the center has such a gravity to it that like trying to trying to get a tube from like northwest london to southwest london it's like oh no it turns out like we've got to we've got to either get weird buses and change three times or we've got to go mm. right into the center and then out again because we're on different tube yeah. lines kind of thing yeah, it's back to that sort of mindset that it is. Um, the, the way I always see it is American cities <clears throat> tend to, well, old, uh, really old American cities, not so much, but uh, contemporary ones tend to be someone's put down a bit of a foot, sort of net on the floor. And it's like, right, here's all these grids. That's what they are. And like, okay, that makes sense. I get, I see the old logic. Whereas your old European cities are based on basically ring forts, effectively. So it's the idea of here is the circle we have drawn around this bit of water. That's where we live. <laughs> And then the circle expands and expands and expands. And it's like a tree you've cut in half. And that's how it works. But all the all the sort of veins, as it were, all the central runs go straight back to that centre because again, all roads lead to Rome kind of mindset. Mm. Um <laughs> you you have the sort of like, well, how about as Tim just mentioned, the perfect, perfect example. How do we get from one corner to another? You don't. You go via the X in the middle. It's like, that seems really stupid. Well, don't worry, we invented the circle line. Oh, that sounds really helpful. It goes in a small circle around the middle. Damn it, motherfucker! What did I just say? Um, um, and even now, as I said about the M25, a big, you know, the giant ring road uh, motorway that goes around the, the nightmare road of Britain, mm-hmm. um, other than the M1. 
um, is is one that's like everything outside of the M25 because of its age is like, well, is that really London? It's like, yes. And if you want to go, you have to slingshot around London to do anything, basically. Um, but I do think there's a reason for this. I think there's a way I can identify it to to it very much uh, to to international listeners. And that is that British people, by definition, because we live on an island and the space is limited, or at least we tell ourselves that even though it's all privately owned and there's tons of it, um, <laughs> we are all very fiercely territorial, horrifically territorial. That's just island culture. Um, because there's an old phrase that the Englishman's home is his castle kind of bullshit. And the concept is basically that my land, my garden, my thing, my, my fence, you can't come here because there's no room. And then... And, and, Let's just clarify again. There is room. That's rhetoric for anti, you know, refugee mindset bullshit. And like, oh, we can't have more children with no rooms. Like, there's plenty of fucking room, you div. It's just the fact you're not building enough fucking houses. Yeah. Um, but it, it's the fact that people believe because we're on an island, there's going to be a limit. You're going to run out of space. Even if you drive two minutes out of any city, you're in a field for a week. And it's like, <laughs> what is it? And then you hit the sea. Um, and it's like, well, that must mean there's no room. That must mean we've got nothing. And so whenever you have somebody who has a group of three people, suddenly you have three boundaries, three borders. Because it's like, we're in a field. It's like, yes, but this field is divided by this hedge. Therefore, it is my field. It's like, motherfucking what? And London is a, a prime example of this because, uh, as Tim mentioned earlier, no, you're from Essex. It's like, I mean, on a map, it doesn't make a difference. But it's a very small map. No, 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 no. I have erected this border. And in case in point, a wonderful case in point, my wife is born in Plaster. I was born in, well, actually, I was born in Camden, but I'm, I'm, I live in Highbury, um, which is a different borough, which shouldn't make a difference, but it does. That means by definition, I am North London, she is East London. And I don't mean like a sort of North, like, oh, well, that's kind of, you know, Hertfordshire kind of way. No, 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 no. You were born in the North of London, <laughs> N-O-R-F, North London. And she is East London Cockney <laughs> through and through. People say, you're, no, well, you're not really Cockney, are you? And, you know, you weren't born within the, what's the, what's the classic phrase? The sound of born the bow bells. Bow bells. Within a shot of bow bells, then you're, then you're a Cockney. It's like, oh, fuck off. See, that, like, that's Fleet the thing Street. again. Like, all yeah. Americans assume every Londoner is a Cockney. Yeah. No, no. There, there is one London accent that is the Cockney accent, full stop, end of story. Yeah. And all those like, people tend to leave, well, they were forced out because of gentrification, went to live in Essex, and now Essex accents is very much like, ah, darling! It's like, <laughs> that used to be the London accent. Yeah, that's the accent. London accent. <laughs> right? yeah, that sounds exactly yeah. the same. I remember when I was a kid, I was like, um, I said, my father saying, like, well, why are you talking like that? And I was like, oh, what, Dad? It's like, like that. Like <laughs> so, what? So I'm from, I'm, I was born in Camden, Dad. You know, it's like, it's like, your grandfather was born in Camden. He didn't talk like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, it is this strange. I mean, the name Highbury, the the, the place where I uh, was, uh, am from basically, it was a field. It's called Highbury because it was a it's Highbury Terrace, Highbury Barns, Highbury Fields. They're because they were fields. It's fields and woodland until really the 1700s, 1800s. It was only just made this. And what it is now is full of like homes of politicians and and actors. It's where the Arsenal Stadium is one of the biggest clubs in the world for football. It's it's a thriving metropolis where every house is worth two million kind of thing, even if it's mm. a fucking dross. My friend who, uh, a Welsh friend of mine, Duffy, he uh, he currently lives in, I want to say, is it Surrey or Oxford? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think he's in Surrey. The point is he was in London for a while um, doing his education and um, he said, London's shit. I said, how fucking dare you? <laughs> we, we were friends in Norwich and things like, how dare you? And he said, it is. You walk 10 minutes in London, you go from some of the most amazing buildings to a fucking slum every time. And I'm like, you. And he said, that's, if it's not true, Matt, tell me of like 
five burrows you like and five you don't. And I bet the ones you don't come up a lot faster. I'm like, well, yeah, I wouldn't go down there. I won't go across. <laughs> I'm like, and I, and I immediately said, well, you don't go south of the river. Because I, again, that's the one talk about territorial nature. I will say the whole of the south of London is bullshit and off limits. Doesn't matter. <laughs> so ha- that's literally half the city gone because it's south of the river. And if you talk to any fucking taxi driver, like, don't go south of the river, mate. No, no. It's a thing. And even if you do say, well, okay, it must be, you know, north central, northeast, and northwest. Must be all the same, surely, if you just bisected it across the river. No, 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 no. Northwest are all posh twats. No bugger that. Um, you've got northeast is like, well, they're, they're dirty, poor cockneys. What about north central, you lot then? Well, we're all right. But then, you know, you've got Islington, Camden, and all the different things. I don't, mm, no, I don't like that either. It gets, and, and it's, it's true of anywhere. And this is what I'm trying to sort of relate to everybody. If you have like any city or any town, there will always be somebody who says, uh, this is the good part of town. This is the crap mm. part of town. And it's like, based on what? And if you move to a place, I remember when I moved to Norwich, it was like, oh, well, you live in the crap area. It's like, do I? This is all fucking countryside to me as far as I'm concerned. You're all, I had to wait 45 minutes for a single bus, which is the <laughs> only bus that goes into Norwich. So don't tell me that this is a Sunday or some, some luxurious uh, palatial area. I, I grew up in the countryside. There were two buses per day, one in <laughs> and one out of Norwich. <laughs> You, you go in at eight o'clock in the morning, you come back at half past yeah. five. That's it. In, in London, if I, you miss a bus or you miss a tube, you have four other options. Yeah. So. yeah. And, and the thing I found fascinating, and I know um, there's a, Tom Scott did a video on this about how using the underground is such a weird backwards way of actually traveling around London. Mm-hmm. And I had this experience myself because I was pretty young. I'd, I, my sister had just moved to London. Like I said, a lot of my family is from London, especially from my dad's side. Um, and my sister had just moved there, and I was like, I was trying to get back to Liverpool Street, which is one of the big train stations, to get back to Norwich to catch my train to Norwich. And I had gotten to Aldgate, and I was like, okay, what? And I'm stuck because they closed down the line between Aldgate and Liverpool Street. Yeah. I'm like, I'm screwed. I'm, I'm I'm like 17, whatever I am. I'm on my own in London. I'm miles away from home. I'm miles away from Liverpool Street. What am I going to do? Oh, my God. I'm stuck. I'm trapped. I'm alone. Fifle's tale. American and then, story. <laughs> I was like, hey, um, if we can't get on the underground to, to Liverpool Street, how do we get? He's like, uh, so you come out this front door. You look right. It's there. I was like, what do you mean? Like, you can literally see Liverpool Street, the corner of the train station from the front door of Oldgate. I was like, oh, it's, it's a two minute walk. He's like, oh. And why am I getting the bloody underground then? Yeah. And Tom Scott did this thing where he compared <coughs> walking between stations and getting the underground between yeah, stations yeah. and having to change. Like, okay, so you go down four sets of steps, you go through a gate, you go through this thing, you sit the thing, and then you come out this way. I was like, yeah, the other guy just went round, walked five minutes and beat you by like nine minutes. <laughs> it took yep. 14 minutes on a tube because it stops at every single thing and isn't going in a straight line. It's going round and round mm-hmm. and weaving around and looping around this bit and all this kind of stuff. And that divides London even more. It's such a weird thing. Like nobody walks around London, even though it's so easy to walk around London. And I did the same thing when I was in Tokyo to kind of briefly touch on one of the other cities we were yeah, yeah. talking about that was on the options list. People were really freaked out. I walked from Shibuya to Shinjuku and they were like, why didn't you get the metro? I'm like, because I want to see the city. <laughs> I'm here for like 10 days. I want to make them. Why am I going to be sat in an underground train if I can? And I walk through like Yoyogi Park and stuff. This is a beautiful park. I just wandered mm-hmm. through and had this like lovely time, had a coffee, had an ice cream in this lovely park. Or 
I could have been sat on a train for an hour and a half. I'm like, fuck that. Sat on a train I, or stood and been groped? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I stood at a foot and a half taller than everyone else and just like be twice as wide as everyone else and twice as tall as everyone else and just be <laughs> absolutely squashed into a corner. So yeah, I found that fascinating that you can just kind of wander around London and most people don't even realise that. And again, it's it's that image of London. The underground is such an iconic part of it. It's like, yeah, it's a London underground. It's been featured in films, so... It's in James Bond. It must be must be the most efficiently <laughs> perfect of travel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, just go for a walk. You'll be fine. <laughs> you've, you've got you've got a smartphone. You'll be fine. I mean, you might get stabbed. <laughs> I mean, well, it's, that's true. It's the fascinating thing of uh, of London because it's such a city of of weird contradictions. Where you know you can be like, oh, I, I want to go from here to here. It's like, oh, okay. Well, you could get the tube, and it'll do this and that, and you'll have to change here at Bank, and that's a nightmare and stuff like that. Um, or you could walk, and it'll actually be it'll be a lovely route, you know. And there's you'll three see, parks along the way, and three, all this yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, all these parks yeah. and this amazing like different kind of architecture, and then you'll go through Brick Lane, and you'll get all these like amazing, you know, like smells of curry and and the the best Indian restaurants outside yeah, of India, yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Or you can be like, okay, well, how about if I want to go from this point to this point? It's like, well, the tube doesn't really do it. There is a bus that runs there. Or you could walk and it'll be an absolute, like, it'll just be these weird grey concrete blocks for <laughs> 40 minutes. Yep. Uh, and then uh, you'll, go, you'll, you'll you'll actually, mm, there's not really a street there, so you'll have to kind of walk <laughs> through this underpass tunnel thing that's built for cars and not so, really so for So yeah. when, you, when you look yeah. on your phone, right, when you look on Google Maps, the road does stop, but keep going. Yeah. Like, Wait, what? <laughs> what do you mean the road stops? Yeah, yeah just, just, you know, you'll see it, you'll understand. Like, there's a bit with the bikes, right? Yeah. You, there's, you go around the side there, and there's a bit with the cars. You want to go through the middle of them, you're not supposed to, but it's fine. You can go that way. Yeah, you're it's covered in graffiti and blood. But you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, as long as as long as it's not a black cab coming, then you're fine because they will mow any motherfucker down. <laughs> My father's only sort of driving lessons for me when I started to. I, I learned to drive in Norwich as opposed to um, London. I'm quite grateful for that. But my father's only lesson he gave me, only part of wisdom he gave me, because he'd been driving in London since he was a kid, basically, and he just said, "Always give way to a bus." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is that it? Is it? Yeah. 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 I said, like, why? It's a lot There's bigger a than you, Matthew. Get out of the way. And it doesn't <laughs> care. Um, and it's it, it, it different, obviously, everywhere you go, but London bus is like, fuck that, I'm moving out. Um, but we, we, we spent half an hour about thereabouts talking about the city. And this is kind of a key point before we talk about the films and the representation of the city, because it's important to hear how we, as British people, and let's face it, mostly London influenced individuals from the South, see London. And how we've experienced London, because that's—it's like anything. It's like, oh, whether you're a a specific culture, a place, a person, whatever you are, seeing yourself or something you are close to represented on screen can either be an elation or a fucking eye roll. Um, <laughs> and it's classically the I imagine. I imagine it's the same way you're like if you're from Staten Island and you're like, oh, film set in New York, and like, yeah, okay, well, we got three, I think, set in Staten Island. They're all. Not necessarily bad, but they don't portray it very well. Um, <laughs> and, and, again, and this and, this one was actually filmed in Vancouver, and so you know precisely, yeah, yeah. And we'll be covering a lot of that sort of stuff: the history, the the alternate versions of London, the substitutes, all different bits and pieces, and 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 the and the genres that tend to gravitate to films set in London. Mm, yes, because uh, that's a very interesting one. Again, living up to stereotypes and yes. like iconic yeah. kind of cultural touchstones and stuff. Yeah. Like, as soon as we said. London in film, I assume plenty of listeners sort of 
sort of instantly thought of particular films and particular genres. Yes. Oh yeah, we're going to talk about this and that and that, that kind of director on those kind of genres. We will talk about that. And I think it's interesting that you instantly get that picture, even from again talking about the other cities. I feel like New York is perhaps the most diverse in terms of like there's not a New York film that instantly go like oh yeah it's obviously that but I think most people have a very clear idea for London like oh yeah it's going to be those like Guy Ritchie gangster films and all that kind of stuff (laughs) or or whatever but then you can even talk about films that are shot in London or films that as we mentioned like trying to look like they were shot in (laughs) London but are filmed in Chicago and it's like that's not fucking London because yeah and and even like um we we touched on this in our in our live stream and in a recent episode as well, talking about how like even cultural differences when we talk about like oh yeah it's we're, we're in London and it's uh it's four city blocks like there aren't city blocks in London because <laughs> that's not how English towns are built yeah. and that's not how cities have expanded. We didn't build things in a grid, save for Milton Keynes. Fuck Milton Keynes. <laughs> but it's really interesting, like little things like that you don't really realize. I yeah. had no idea Americans literally meant blocks. I assume they meant just streets, and then I saw like an aerial photo, yes. or whatever it was, like Google yeah. Maps or whatever it was when I was younger. I was like, "Why is it all squares? This is really weird. <laughs> Why is every road parallel and then perpendicular to mm-hmm. every other road? This is so strange. Where are your roundabouts? What are you doing, America?" <laughs> it's it's the classic like you yeah like driving in Oregon. It was like the idea of like oh you have a stop sign at every other every other intersection. Like what are you talking about? Well, you can't just drive in a it's a straight. I see it's a straight line. How do you know when there's no traffic lights? What do you, how do you stop? And it's like, well, you just, there's a stop sign every other stop sign. It's like, and you just trust people to stop every other road if nothing's coming. To Who put it into perspective, to put it into perspective, I think I've seen maybe a dozen stop signs in my entire life in this country. Which is why they when are we like watch. In the middle of nowhere in country roads yeah. where there's a blind corner and there's a big hedge or whatever yeah, 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 it is, yeah. and you absolutely should not pull out onto this road. Yeah. And I'm like, that makes sense for a stop sign because there's no point in having traffic lights there because you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. will be a stop sign, and and that's why whenever you you grow up on I mention this all the time. We grow up on American culture and American uh, vernacular and things all the time, and you know the classic. You ran a stop sign back there, sir. It's like I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> it was only when I got to my twenties I was like, oh, I see what you mean now. That's quite an annoying thing and very important. And I understand now. I don't. Do you not have traffic British lights equivalent. and traffic lights? Another thing. <laughs> when I. Uh, lived in America for a short period I finally understood why jaywalking was a thing yeah. and it, it it doesn't really make sense like in a in a in a really like in a downtown area it's like fuck it whatever because because the cars aren't moving that fast anyway but even as soon as you get slightly out of it it's like oh yeah you cross on the corners because a that's the com- kind of the convenient place to cross a lot of the time but also because the cars know that they have to stop at the corners and so in those bits in between they just they are not expe- they are never expected yeah, to stop yeah. if it's not at a corner and so, and mm-hmm. so like it, to to a british person like jaywalking is such a weird thing yep. because the you know you just it's like you just you look both ways and if there's nothing coming or if all the cars are stopped you just weave in between them you know but mm-hmm. but that's just because in our cities, you would never ever get up to a speed where you were going to be, you know, Mowed down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it's also the fact that most people in this country inadvertently will say, I don't cross at the corner of a road. And it's like, why? Well, I walk down a little bit and then I cross. L- literally jaywalking, as far as mm. Americans are concerned. It's like, well, why would you do that? There's fewer directions to look 
I yeah. look left. Mm. I look right. I don't look left. Right over there. A little bit northwest. A little bit northeast. North, north, southeast. I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you don't want to be like literally checking nine angles. So you go a little bit further down the road and you're checking two. So yeah. the idea of sitting on a corner and yeah, it's, it's, it's again, it's cultural differences, but it's the kind of thing where in film and representation, there'll be things like, oh, you ran a stop sign back there. So I was like, no, he didn't. He's in Britain. <laughs> in London, you're driving 20 miles an hour and there's a congestion charge. So guess what? There's no fucking cars that we worry about in the first place. And th- there is a lot of that. Uh, and then we mentioned before about just before we move on about the actual films, there is so much language difference. And I, I remember I talked to Stuart Ashen about this uh, a while ago where he will straight up talk about, it. oh yeah, the Norfolk accent's like, you're right there, boy. You're okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And But the, the Suffolk accent's really stupid. It's like, hello, hente. Oh, uh. it's like, Stuart, they sound the same, same mate. Same thing. Yeah. He said, no, no, no. One sounds more dopey. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Because he's from Norfolk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can pick out lots of different London accents because I can I can hear the minutiae, the difference. People can hear yeah. an Essex accent and go, that's just London, isn't it? It's like, fuck is wrong with you? Um, <laughs> But but I mean, I, it, think, it, I think that's enhanced as well. Going outside yeah. of your native language. Oh yeah, entirely. I French speakers, I can I can tell the difference between French Canadian and <laughs> French from France. Sure. Ish. Apart from that, you could be from Calais. You could be from Bordeaux. I have mm. absolutely no idea. You could be from complete polar opposite, north south, rural mm. bumpkin France, and the middle of Paris. I have absolutely no idea how to distinguish one French accent from another. And I think it's very true from, like I said, the diversity of accents we have in Britain is mental. And it's, yeah. like, it seems to be like accent diversity on steroids and dialects. And we even have like Cornish, which is this weird version of English that isn't even a thing that barely <laughs> anybody speaks. And yeah. like the Welsh language is dying out now because fewer and fewer people are learning to speak Welsh when they grow up and all this kind of stuff. Yaki da, bitches. Exactly. But even in London, you get all these different dialects and accents and infamous Cockney rhyming slang that I'm sure we will we will discuss. It's just mm-hmm. like, how is that even a thing for people to understand outside yeah. of this very close-knit little group of people that speak this particular dialect or this particular accent? And yeah. the Cockney rhyming slang is basically just played for laughs in most films. Take Austin oh, Powers yeah, yeah. as the perfect example of the shat on a turtle <laughs> thing. Like, that whole... <laughs> thing between Fucking Michael Caine and Mike Myers is just one big well, what the hell is this I, why I, is cockney rhyming slang a thing I it's hate stupid. cockney rhyming slang I I've always it's always it's been a thing where it's always like and this is a bit of a point of derision unfortunately but it's like that's prison talk that's all it is um <laughs> and it's like you know um oh doing a bit of bird fuck you you went to prison you're not that fucking clever doing a bit of bird yeah whatever it's like oh yeah no, no, no apples and pears no but if you're saying apples and pears get the fuck in the bin Having my dad. Said, my dad has unironically said apples see, and pears. That's the problem. To me Having before. said that, I, un, I I say a few things that I've. And the same thing with my, my Irish um, heritage as well. I'll say stuff that you cling to accidentally because you've grown up with it. So I will say uh, bubble every now and again. Not frequently to you guys. Mostly when I'm around family to talk about laughing, as in you're having a bath, as in a bubble <laughs> bath. Oh wow! Okay, having a bubble, um, and. All that sort of stuff. And there are bits and pieces. I mean, I know it's not Cockney Rhyming Slang, but Kazi, I'll say all the time. There'll be bits and you pieces. You do say Kazi. You're I the do... only person I've ever met who says Kazi yeah, exactly. when, t- when you mean toilet. <laughs> it's true. Um, there's tons of those things. And the same with, like, like, you know, Irish shorthand as well, um, because it's what you grew up with your family side of things. And you just don't know it's different. You don't know it's, you don't know it's anything unusual until someone points out, why do you say this? It's like, what do you mean? That's just normal, isn't it? It's like, no, it isn't. 
It's only when someone externally, and the thing is, when someone points out externally, it's never upon like, oh, that's interesting. It's always like, why are you doing that? And then the classic <laughs> reaction from somebody is to drill down and say, well, I ain't bad. And your shoulders get like fucking saying, mm-hmm. well, what's wrong with me saying like that? I say girl when I say a girl. It's like, just say girl. Girl. Yeah, girl. <laughs> Again. Girl. My dad uh, says the words ball and bull and wall and wool as both wool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a brick wall. And a wall jumper. <laughs> it's the same yeah. thing. Yeah. And he cannot get his head. The fact that I don't have, particularly don't have a Norfolk accent or a London accent somehow. I've got this regionless thing. Homogenized British. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Generic English accent kind yeah. of thing. Whereas my dad is very clearly, my mum's from Essex, but my mum doesn't particularly have an accent. And I remember when I was younger, I was trying to get my head around the fact that he was saying ball and bull. And I wasn't <laughs> aware that like dialects and accents are a thing. So I was just like, why are you saying it wrong, Dad? What is going on? What's wrong with your brain and your mouth? And he was like, nothing's wrong with my brain. It's a or ball mouth and it's an a F. ball. <laughs> and that's the thing as well. My, my wife has a story about how when she was a kid, and I mean, I mean like a toddler, like very young, so early, early school. Like she was very smart and, and stuff like that in school. She still is. And um, <laughs> Good, come, good, good yeah. come back there, mate. Um, she was very smart. She was, less than she now. Was she's not academically <laughs> achieved even from a younger age is what I was trying to get across there. But she would simply say that the school would teach her say, like, okay, can we go, let's go for times table two times three and she two times three three <laughs> three 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 but, but my wife to this day has a complex because she can't say three because th is a stupid sound that most people around the world can't fucking say that's um, true but especially in london th is f all the time. And if you go back to listen, listen no, to half you the said, fucking episodes. You said North London earlier. North, yeah. North with an F. And it's not me saying it like I'm intentionally putting it. Sometimes you obviously, you know, like anyway, when you're around your family, you do put it on a bit. You go, you know, you, same with my island. My accent comes out very Irish. But the point is that um, <laughs> some things you just are so conditioned because of surroundings and hearing it that you hear North. And it's like, yeah, free. And, and if you look back to the episodes previously, there will be so many examples of me saying Probably doing like product placement <laughs> for like the, the ads and things, <laughs> saying the name of the branding wrong. So what's the thing? It's, it's the Thulus company. It's like, oh no, it's a Thulus. Oh shit. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's just a thing that you sort of pick up and you become very territorial about, which transition us, us nicely to films because the representation of language, dialects and differences is very rarely seen. And representation of, let's face it, majority of London citizens is not often shown on film. Um, so let's 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 start off with the historic side of London, the ancient London. London was not the capital always. Uh, Norwich talks about it for a while. No, nobody cares. Um, Norwich was. Hey, we cling on to that. Thank you very much. I'm sure you do. We were the medieval capital. Thank you for very like much. A, for like a week because London was we, burning. We were relevant for like six weeks, like 500 <laughs> years ago. Yeah, I always love the fact that Norwich has a castle. And I told this. I got beaten up in school for saying this. I was like. It's like, oh, we were, someone said to me, like, yeah, oh, yeah, we were, we were the capital at one point. Uh, not with that accent, though. And uh, I, I said, uh, yeah. And I've been around your castle. And it was a castle for about 50 odd years. And then it was a prison because no one wanted to invade this place. They just want to be stuck here. And then they beat me up. Um, but yeah, the capital of, of Britain wasn't always London because England used to have multiple kingdoms. We're not going into it. So historic London isn't something you get very often. You say, oh, you mean the Victorian era? No, so no, before that. Oh, you mean Shakespeare? Before that, like, there's nothing before that. It's like, yes, there is. We just don't talk about it because it was weird. Um, the oldest thing I could think of specifically was a knight's tale. 
um, which isn't a good representation of London, really honest at all. But that's fine. It does. It's not trying to be in a way. Um, medieval London isn't really often properly shown unless you're going a real, you know, very ancient king style biopic. It, it does. It tends to kick in and. This is true for, I think, how people see this country internally and externally, because the the periods we want to focus on in films, because British history is dark and we only want to focus on good shit. So we're talking about, oh, Shakespeare brought literature to the world. Do you remember when we invented literature? Mm. Yes, that was us. Yeah. Henry VIII was so scandalous making a church. Ooh. And Elizabeth, the queen of this country. And then the war and Victorian period. Um. So it is a strange homogenization. We think, oh, give me a historic film from you know the past in London, and it becomes very tricky to like. Oh no, that's England. It's like oh, okay, well, London specifically. It's fascinating because of the because of the kind of films associated with different history periods as well, um, as well as associated with London. And if you go back to medieval, the kind of films that are getting made want to show a nice big castle in the middle of the country and you yep. can have knights riding up and there's a portcullis and it drops down and then they <laughs> get in and then there's, it's all lovely. And it, this isn't London, um, but there was a a Netflix uh, Christmas oh, film. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I forget, what was it? The Night Before Christmas night, or something, but Christmas with a K. The Night Christmas, with a K. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was set in, it was set in, not all, well, it's it's a time travel film in which a medieval knight comes to like contemporary America uh, yeah. and and woos Vanessa Hudgens. Um, sure. and, Why is it always Vanessa Hudgens in this film? <laughs> she's got to she's got to make money. Um, uh, and it that he was specifically a knight from Norwich, and it showed like, ah, oh, look, here's medieval Norwich, and it just showed like a big castle, and it's like, no, uh, a that's not. Put, Norwich Castle looks like, but mm-hmm. also like, no, Built it was by a, the French. It was <clears throat> it was a city. You know, there there wasn't just yeah, one building, but that's not what the conception of what medieval England looks like because it, yeah. because it's because it's not shown on film because it's impractical to build a medieval city. You know, it, it, stuff like Game of Thrones is the kind of closest we've got to more accurate representations of what like an urban centre was like during that period, which even, you know, was radically Plus smaller dragons, than know. what a city would be today. But, mm. you know, there were still multiple buildings rather than just a castle, and then that was and it. Then, and then some huts and stuff yeah. in the distance. Like, yeah. It's also yes. the fact that the, the most iconic London castle is the White Tower, which is not how people know it. They know it's the Tower of London. Um, and it's like, oh, that's the one that the Queen lives in. It's like, well, no, no, that's not uh, uh, <laughs> fine. So it's like it sits on the river, basically, and it's where the 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 ravens live, and it's very cool, and it's where the crown jewels are and things. There's lots of bits and pieces and lots of history, but the White Tower is just this very old uh, box, basically with four pillar-style turrets on the outside, and it's very cool. I've been in it a few times. However, we should point out that the White Tower itself, the keep itself, was built by William the Conqueror, who was fucking French. So the most <laughs> so- iconic. English castle is French, and that's how this country tends to think of itself. It's like, oh, we're English, English, English. It's like, you do realise we were invaded a thousand years mm. ago and walloped so, by the French. Yeah, yeah. So, is no- so is Norwich Castle, famously a yeah, very, exactly. Nor- very Norman castle yeah. built yeah. in like 1070-something. Yeah. Doing too much history on this podcast, not on film stuff, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we're, getting dis- we're getting distracted. But I, I, I mean, you brought up A Knight's Tale, and I do... Yes, yes. Like, it does actually show a kind of urban 
medieval setting. It does. Um, Slurry. It, because it's full of anachronisms, like deliberately, it also has a medieval version of the London Eye, which is fucking hilarious. Yeah. And I love it. Um, <laughs> but, but I think that actually is reasonably close, not having, you know, studied yeah, no, accurate yeah. history but it's like oh no that's it's it's not just showing london as a single castle um they they yeah. at least had that awareness yeah that things like for example the fact that you'd have uh the bridges that were built would have shops on them and buildings on them until they started collapsing because i thought oh yeah. there's more land we can use and it's like no that that structure will not take a building you yeah. fucking <laughs> idiot and they did that all the way to the 1800s fools um so yeah, London as it's represented across film does kick in or tends to kick in around the Tudor period because and and again I can't really slate films too much for this. It's because those eras before that were French domination and control followed by plague, followed yeah. by Dark Ages shit and excessive religious control followed by mass murder and all that shit. And it's it's about practicality of representation as well. There's, of course, of there's course. a bunch of London that has, well, it has changed since Tudor time, but you can dress it up and pretend it's Tudor times. Precisely. Whereas before that because everything was built of you know rotting wood um yep. and got burnt down in uh, 1666 you know there's mm. there's very little left so if you're going to represent medieval london you're probably not actually going to be filming it in london um no. you'd be you'd be set dressing building on studios and doing anything elsewhere exactly even to, even to the point where we had another netflix christmas film Jingle Jangle, oh, yeah. filmed here in yeah. Norwich because we have some of the most preserved medieval streets in Europe. Mm. Mm-hmm. So they were like, it's not set in Norwich necessarily, but it no. is like, there you go. There's some medieval English yeah. streets. That will do that. Yeah. And you can it's just cheaper. chop and change that and be like, yeah, that looks like everywhere in England. All England looks basically the yeah. same, right? It's all London. Like, yeah. We're back to that again. Thanks, Netflix. I'll also give um, Shakespeare in Love and Anonymous as well some credit because it does try and show this is what you're talking about. And again, this is one of the things about this country that's quite interesting. Streets and roads weren't really a thing. It was all alleyways. It was all <laughs> this wine. I mean, the old classic Diagon Alley thing from, from Harry Potter, a lot of British cities still look like that because that's how our cities were built. They were literally just All the wonky. houses are all wonky and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And the, the paving slabs are uneven and all this yep. kind of stuff. And yeah. Cobbles yep. all over the place. And it was just yep. inefficient, but it's how we built it because of, you know, and again, it's it's a almost like a classic Soviet way. It's like it's it still works. Just pass something on top of it. Problem solved. Yeah. Um, and like that's why that, whenever you see that the... house fell down, uh, just like I don't know, just stamp on it until it's flat, and then just build something new on top of it. Yeah. That's why if you're <laughs> only doing like oh we've do, we've been doing some laying some pipe in uh, in some area of you know central London like Fleet Street, which is again Fleet Street. Oh, you mean Sweeney Todd? It's like no, Fleet Street's where all the banks are. It's a hugely <laughs> commercial area. It's like what's under there? A ton of like Roman ruins. So what? Yeah, because we just knocked them down, built over them. Because that's the practicality of what you have, and yeah. it happens today as well. You know, it's like, oh, this building is uh, is a bit antiquated. Let's just knock it down and start a new one. We're going to excavate the land properly. Fuck no, you mad? Um, and then it moves on very distinctly to you. See the Regency era, the sort of you know uh, madness of King George stuff, and us having the colonies and things. It's more interesting to sort of represent what we were doing abroad. So you see the Napoleonic Wars and we're bright, he is bravely fighting the dirty frogs in France. 
It's like, it's like <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well done. Um, and what about we're doing Africa? Never mind that. We were making trains. We were giving them mm. coal so much. And it's like, no, we're no, no. Bringing no. them culture and civilization. Yes, technology they didn't ever had before. They couldn't why, even read before we showed up. Why, why were you think, bringing them? I think them... they had their own language. <laughs> <laughs> why were you building trains? To get it all out of there, obviously. Yeah. Um, what about America when we pissed them off and they sort of left us? Nah, 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 nah. I'm grateful, swine. Um, it, all this bullshit. So then you get to the point of peak peak empire you see regency stuff like a stuff in the countryside with people with bonnets and you get the pride and prejudice of like oh mm. <laughs> oh so wilting forlorn lovelorn people who i want to just write to you and tell you how much i love the countryside because the country at that point had a huge crisis huge existential crisis of the city is where you go to die the city is where you go to cut you can't breathe you work in factories people take advantage of you there's crime full of smog smog yeah that's what the big smoke statement comes from was a description and people like Wordsworth and other poets were like, oh, the country is where it's at. Oh, the beautiful countryside of England, blah, 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 blah. And then you get to the peak empire periods of the Victorian age. And if you see a film about, in inverted commas, old London, it's always the fucking 1800s Victorian London because we were at our most powerful and up until unfortunately recently are most corrupt and evil and awful and shit um <laughs> and we were people were writing about it it's also as as you guys mentioned the easiest way to set dress it because some some mo so many of the buildings and landmarks are around and recognizable like in sherlock holmes the the guy Ritchie one you know you got the tower bridge being built and it's like oh wow <laughs> i just thought it was always there since the you know the 1000 <laughs> bc period and it's like oh fuck off so you do get this this representation in london and also let's face it since the 80s onwards, uh, fucking always in London, if I'm honest, and always in, in British history, you have a whole thing about the inequality, the divide between rich and poor. And nowhere is that better documented in British history than the Victorian period, where you've got children going up chimney suites and choking and dying on smog, and you've got these big fat cat John Bull motherfuckers just go running around um, taking advantage of everybody and, you know, buying up land and houses. And it's like, oh, that's such a strange past we've come from. Look how much we've evolved. It's like, have you been to London? <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, it, it, the Industrial Revolution was something that, to a significant part, was kickstarted in Britain, you know, the steam engine and, sure. and that kind of stuff. And so it's a period of history where we, f we feel important. Um, yeah. And, uh, and like you say, you know, we, we were at our, our best and our worst. Um, and prior to that, a lot of England was still incredibly rural. And but once you get that industrialization, you get these concerns about, oh, okay, you know, you there's there's a population that's flooding to the cities because that's where jobs are and opportunity, but also smog and death and yeah. getting your hand yeah. mangled in a steam press thing, uh, <laughs> and, and all that kind of stuff. And so it's it's when the interesting stories are and, and it's when the kind of modern conception of what a city would be like. Sure actually starts to materialise and so for both a practicality sense and because people want to see what they understand you know and if you showed London in the 1400s it would not really look like the same like if you show New York in you know 1700 and the people sure, be like sure. why is there why is there like I thought this was in New York why is there fields it's like <laughs> yeah because because people had to farm for food and you didn't have cars yeah. and you know like steam trains and lower you know ships that could transport food you know across so you just had to grow it where you were and yeah you know and it's like so so where are they 
Harlem. It's like, that's not fucking Harlem. There's trees. It's like, yeah, no, that's what it looked like for a while. And then industrialization happened. And now it looks like a, like what you think a city looks like. Yeah. Weirdly enough, to quickly spin off into video games, just to touch on, and I know you'll appreciate this, Matt. A view through many of the kind of like through London and then looking at America as well back in the past. The Assassin's Creed games are really good for that. Very true. Because they incredibly accurately map historical architecture and stuff and yeah. build like this is one of the most historically accurately like represented versions of Constantinople back in the day. Like for a video game, really? And then <laughs> looking at Assassin's Creed three, which is set yeah. right in the yeah. like late seventeen hundreds when America was first formed. It's like why is this place so flat? Because because um, Assassin's Creed was so built. For those who don't know, it's very like a quite a vertical game. You're doing a lot of climbing and jumping off buildings and running around and all that kind of stuff. And then suddenly the third one comes around and it's really flat and you're basically climbing trees. Like where are all the buildings? Like yeah, well yeah, we only just got here. So New York America, features in America that game. doesn't yeah. exist yet as we know it. Yeah. So like you said you can go to Harlem. It's just a bunch of trees and fields yeah. and a couple of huts because people have only just started building this part of the world as yeah. we know it in the modern age. I don't know how many landmarks from the 1700s are still, or, you know, uh, pre-sort of colonial America, I guess is the, is the definition. I don't know how many landmarks are still around. you got like, like oh, you know, this is a, an old fort from the um, from the Pilgrim times in the 1600s. It's like, yeah, that, might, that might be preserved somewhere, you know, some stuff in, like in, in Virginia where you've got like, you know, oh, the old... What the fuck ever? I don't know. I can't think of a specific example, unfortunately. But you know, then that through modernization and through uh, progress and through, yeah, you don't see it as much other than more prominent stuff of later years. Um, but yeah, so so I think I think it comes down to the things we learn in school in, in in British history is very much mirrored in British film history. So it's like, what do you learn? Well, you learn about the Vikings, you learn about the Romans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What about London? Uh, let's see, uh, Tudors, Stuarts. So basically, you know, kings and queens stuff. Sometimes, very rarely, but sometimes you get something about the English Civil War because that's when the parliamentarians took over and killed the king. And then we realised that was a terrible idea, so we got the king back in again because you know, British people are... <laughs> British people in revolutions don't happen very often. When they do, they make a really big, stupid move and go, oh, fuck, and then they turn it around as fast as possible. Um, go, Oliver Cromwell, he's our guy. Oh, fuck, shit, no. Oh, yep. bollocks. Piss, get rid of him. <laughs> Bring back the curly-head king. Um, oh, look, he opened the theatres and brought back Christmas. Lovely. Um, <clears throat> so... Um, then you get like the Victorian period of like, because that's what you learn about. There's this whole gap. Like, well, what happened in between then? Uh, don't worry about it. What about the Opium Wars? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about that. Yeah. So um, it's it's rare. You see, you see more of it now. You see more like London as this this entity, this 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 creature that is um, like, oh, I have to take this back to London, like the Lost City of Zed, for example, which is about you know exploration of of uh, Central and South American cultures and stuff and how they were advanced before we brought them civilization as it were. And then, no, that can't be possible. No, 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 no. And all that sort of stuff. Um, but this, this leads us into another point, which is the fictional version of London, an alternate version of London, where you can do a what if story. And the what if stories are almost always fucking grim because London is already grim, but to make an, an analogy for people to see, well, how bad can it be? It's like, well, okay, fine. If you won't, if I actually show you what London is like for people who don't have any money, like Oliver Twist, for example, you go, that's terrible. Well, that was hundreds of years ago, right? It's like, oh, fucking hell's sake. So you end up having to say, well, here's an alternate version of London where it's like, you know, set in the modern day or the future, the near future. And it's like, what's it like? Fucking terrible. Oh, that's <laughs> awful. I'm glad that's not the real life. It's like, it's, it's kind of worse right now. 
And there are several examples of this, a few notable ones. Uh, almost all this is dystopian is, let's just take, take three, for example, because I think people might have heard of and or seen them recently. 1984, starring John Hurt, V for Vendetta, Children of Men. And all three of them are dystopian, authoritarian, controlling, nightmare places with armed police and secret police. It's like, well, that must be some sort of Stasi, German, Russian. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, happens here too. And then again, the poverty divide, and it's all, and then the, the, the cinematography in all of them seems to be very grim. It's all this neo patriotism bullshit, you know, reporting things and, and, and constantly being lied to by a government or, you know, about what's going on and what the truth is. I have is. no idea what you're talking about, Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I should point out these are things that have been going back to the 50s. You know, it's not like some sort of contemporary modern thing only. We've been, we've been talking about this for, and, and again, if you're like, well, well, before that must have been better. No, because that's what fucking Dickens was talking about at the time. <laughs> it's, it's, and, and you've got Thomas Hardy doing the exact same thing, but in the countryside saying, well, it's not that fucking great in Manchester either. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because if you think like alternate versions of, of London, I don't mean like fictional version, like the fucking Richard Curtis version of London. That's a different f- fictional version of London. Um, <laughs> but I mean like a, a, a London what if, a London uh, a scenario that isn't real as such. It's like, oh, this is London if we didn't win the war. Oh, that kind of shit, you know. Um, and it's almost always miserable. And I don't know if that is a, and this is what the key thing here, I don't know if that is a, a byproduct of, oh, we would set it anywhere in Britain. It just happens to be London because we've already got London as a good standpoint. I mentioned before, it's always, it's always fucking London. Or the fact that Viva Vendetta, Children of Men, 1984, I'm pretty sure are all based on properties written by British people. And you're like, oh, that feels like an internal thing. <laughs> I, I remember seeing uh, Children of Men and thinking it was weirdly one of the most accurate representations of London that I had seen <laughs> on film, and it's a dystopia. Yeah. Um, but it does feel very rooted in the in the actual reality of of modern London. Like it's yeah, yeah. it's got a big mix of ethnicities in it. Um, it's got you know it shows people on public transport, and it shows it shows. <laughs> people with massive wealth and people with absolutely nothing living yes, very close yes. to each other. Um, and, and also it shows the fact that you can travel outside London and be in the countryside pretty fucking quickly. Um, you know, if you're, if you're on a fast enough train or, you know, on the right road kind of thing, you can very quickly get to an area that's, that looks completely rural, which is, uh, and obviously um, a, foreign director Alfonso Cuaron you know to to get that kind of yeah specificity and and to make it really really rooted in a London that absolutely could be um is is quite a good achievement yeah and, and I think that's a good one we can uh, segue as well with Tim about representation because most time you see London it's always central central Westminster um which is the hub of government and things like that and it's always white people in fucking bowler hats or some shit um and it's like London is incre- is the most diverse part of, of this country and incredibly liberal uh, in places, as well as incredibly hateful and bigoted as well at the same time, because of course it's the people live there. Um, but it, it's very rare that you will see, if you walk through a city street in London, you will see people from all over the world. And I don't just mean ethnicities because people will emigrate, travel, tourism, mm. ambassadors, all kinds of things that you'll have so much there um, for people who are born abroad and people who are born in Britain of different... Um, uh, ethnicities but 
that is very rarely seen on extras in the background of a scene in London, unless you are like actually trying to tell a story about London. Layer Cake does a good job of that, I think. There's a few other ones as well, which we'll probably come up to later, more importantly. But it's not the case of like a Richard Curtis film where like we're going to throw, throw a few token people in there, but it's mostly established white British Shakespearean actors. It's like, I don't think you know what... And the thing is, that's been the case for a very long time. It's now we're starting to get things like in Darkest Hour, which is a, is a Churchill film that uh, Gary Oldman asked for. There's a few bits and pieces we get representation of, of people of colour there. And it's like, yeah, they've, they've been around <laughs> for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Black oh, people where, where weren't invented cattle? in 1960, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they came off the Windrush boat and that's all we know. Um, and, well, and, and our ties with like India and stuff like that as well. Mm, precisely, that precisely. It's really not touched upon in a bunch of war films and stuff like that. Yep. How much like even even the Gurkhas from um, uh, Nepal yep. and that, that's uh, that part of Asia that former empire fallen colonies unfortunately but yeah. we still had the ties to those parts of the country and they were really integral to certain battles during World War One and World War Two, mm. and were really not kind of brought up or addressed or get the dues that they deserve in many ways. And that certainly pulls through to modern stuff as well. Like like you said, you really don't get much representation of, like, take um, certain areas of London are very, like, huge Arabic communities now as well. Yes. And because of how horrible and gross and xenophobic and racist our country is at the moment, thanks to our bloody government... That's seen as a negative. I was like, "Oh yeah, no, you don't yeah. go there." Oh no, every, they're all speaking Arabic and they're all they're all Muslims. It's like, well, yeah, because it's the biggest city in the country, and you're going to attract mm-hmm. people from all around the world and various different things. And that's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah. You can have some of the most incredible <clears throat> food and some of the most like cool music and art and all this kind of stuff from around the world, all in one place. Which is kind of rare for Britain because we get stuck. <laughs> like, take Norwich for example, yeah. little old Norwich. Like, I know I keep comparing it, but you know, it's my home city. Sure, we're nowhere near as diverse, and we're getting better. We are getting better over the last twenty years or so. Growing up, I've seen a lot of diversity, you know, grow in this part of the country. But good lord, we are far behind much of the many of the bigger cities in the in the country. That's the key word, getting better, because a lot of people don't see it that way because they're awful. But oh no, it's getting worse. Uh, I want it, I want it back, back to the good old days. Where all the English people I don't recognise the streets. It's like, well, they're born here. Does that make them English? No, dear, but their skin's not the same as mine. It's like, fucking lovely. But yeah, the thing is, I remember growing up in, I say, in Highbury, and that was a Jamaican Jewish Irish neighbourhood. It was hugely uh, diverse and stuff, <laughs> and it was poor because of That's it. That's a hell of a combination, right? It, it really is. Um, and it was it was a poor neighbourhood because of it in a way. It was like it was where it was fucking where, where um uh, John Lydon's from. The the you know. Johnny Rotten, leading us from yeah. the Sex Pistols. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it was never a really big flash neighborhood. Now it's but, worth... butter spokesman, Johnny Rotten, but a fascist. Um, yeah, yeah, Brexit voting Tory <laughs> asshole. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, fucking. But the point is, it came. It was, it was an area of poverty, and now it is an area of extreme wealth because of the evolution of these things. But I grew up with such diversity in my school and what I was used to on the streets. I mean, just seeing people of of different ethnicities all the time, and going and seeing so many different shops selling so many different things. To moving to Norwich, and I don't think I saw a minority for literally months. It was terrible. Put that into perspective. From my high school, we had two non-white people, both called Sean. <laughs> it was white people as far as the eye could see. <laughs> And it, and it was weird because I was aware because thankfully my parents are very liberal and are very open about discussing yeah. that kind of stuff. Thank God. But it was a weird thing growing up. It's like, oh, yeah. And then I remember, funny enough, when my sister was living near Highbury, 
I had the first experience. I was waiting at a bus stop and I was the only white guy. <laughs> and I was like, and I didn't have the, oh God, no. Oh, I don't recognize any of these faces. I went, oh, this is cool. I'm, I'm like, for what a better phrase, I'm, I'm the minority now. And <laughs> yeah. This, yeah, this is this is really interesting. This is great. I'm actually yeah, yeah. seeing diversity in action in real life, not just like represented on screen. Like, but this is really cool. This is really interesting. It's the thing that isn't represented. So if you say like, oh, we're setting in England and we need to cast all these white people. And I was like, well, it depends where you're going, really. <laughs> I, I can tell when something is an accurate version of like modern London where... Um, and and this is the thing you'll see you you know if it's if it's like uh, an American TV show and they do an episode where the cast visits London or whatever oh, yeah. and and pretty much everyone they meet will be white and speaking in a very like hello really received pronunciation accent yeah if you go to London now and encounter people in the service industry you know in a coffee shop or whatever <laughs> like eighty five percent of people will have an a foreign accent. Because yes, there'll be recent immigrants, and it, like it's it's kind of terrifying. Like that's in the sense that it's it's become this weird like underclass thing of like mm, oh yeah. you know like oh yes well the immigrants come here but you know we just shove them in you know they they the serve us drinks at our receptions and yeah, yeah you know and stack our supermarket shelves and stuff like that. But lovely but, people, good energy, very nice. But uh, yes, you wouldn't want them working workers. in the banks. Yes. Yeah, it's all this bullshit. Um, yeah. Yeah. The backbone. Um, but yeah, you know, like a, an accurate representation of London, you know, you if you're buying coffee off someone, they're probably, you know, they're having a Polish accent or, a, you know... A Nigerian accent or something. Nigerian accent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anywhere. But um, I, I always think of that as a little marker of, of when I can tell that it's an accurate version of modern London. Yeah. We, we should point out, just, just in case anyone is very quietly bubbling under the surface, Obviously, we're not we're commenting on what we're observing. We're not saying what things should or shouldn't be, and we're not saying people are exclusively well. Only poles are in these jobs. Like we know they that's not the case. You know, people like you know just because someone is from a certain country doesn't mean they're going to be hardworking or not, or a landlord mm. who's a complete oh, fucking asshole or not. We're it's, saying that's that's the interpretation because of how prison represented next. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, how how our unfortunately how our government has represented our country and how yeah. Yeah, the, mm. the recent rhetoric with Brexit. I know we're getting very, very political here. We'll get off this in a sec. But because <laughs> we'll of how things like Trump and Boris Johnson and Brexit and all this stuff has kind of increased, especially in Britain recently, increased all the xenophobic and racist stuff that was bubbling under the surface anyway. We've yeah. had a conservative government for the majority of the last hundred years, for fuck's sake. Yeah. And people say, like, oh, no, the Labour ruined the blah, 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 blah. We love the NHS. Who made that? <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, God, yeah. We, we get stuck in this thing. But I, you're totally right, Tim, that you can you can really tell. There are certain tells where you can see that, oh, that person's, this costume designer, this casting director, this set mm -hmm. designer, mm -hmm. whatever it is, they've never been to London. They're just looking at photos or, oh, yeah, well, I've, I've seen a few James Bond films, so that's what London looks like. like yeah. Mm -hmm. Every every office looks like Miss Moneypenny's office. It's fine. <laughs> big, big leather walls and all this kind of stuff. It's like, ah, fuck's sake. And, and I think that growing up with the example, I know this is television, but we'll, we'll, it will segue into it into its importance. I remember distinctly when Friends was having episodes in London. And yeah. Oh, God. Oh, shit. Now is our time. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, <laughs> and it was like very much like, oh, hello. Oh, well, the, you know, and, and uh, everyone was very bubbly. As you expect. Welcome to Starbucks. <laughs> fuck off. Yeah, and and the representation like, do you know they also have McDonald's here and there's no water in the toilets and all that sort of like, you know, observations, etc, etc. 
and they, oh, it's just like us in certain places. I'm like, yeah, I, I guess. It's not like it's not the the huge culture smash you'd think it'd be from from New York to London, yeah. two huge metropolises. <laughs> it's like well done. Things are slightly different, but anyway, the point is when you get London that is being substituted and it's like been filmed on a soundstage, and you get like a few shots here and there of like oh we we ship the crew out to drive around in a double decker bus for a while, and then we cut to a soundstage in fucking wherever it's gonna be. And like you Jersey get that and... London calling intro like yeah, you mentioned earlier, obviously. <laughs> but there are times where you're like we're gonna film in London, but we can't be asked because again. London is expensive. Filming in London is a real fucking nuisance. <laughs> this, okay, strange example, which is not the actual we're going to be talking about. We're going to invert it. But I remember seeing, not necessarily having a go at Stuart, but definitely saying, take him to task a little bit, saying, uh, this is Ashens, by the way, and saying, um, Stuart, in, in your movie, Quest of the Game Child, yeah, it's set in Norwich, yeah. Why were you filming in fucking London? <laughs> I, just film it in Norwich, mate. And he said, well, and it was the fact that all the crew and the cast, it was easier to film, and uh, obviously for the director Riyad, in London. So you substitute London for Norwich, and that would happen most places, as to mention with the Netflix film and things. But um, that was just convenient because all, all the things were there. And it's not a bad thing, per se. It's just, it's just a bit unusual, because if you're from anywhere, you can need to go, that's not right, that's wrong, that's wrong. Uh, and as buildings such, that tall in Norwich. Very... <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's one, and it stands out, and it's a cathedral. Um, and it's the idea of when you're used to a thing, you observe the oddities. And a very good example of that is when London is substituted for other places. So it's like, oh, we're we're going to London. And you're like, okay, fine. And then you cut to a scene, and you think, where the fuck have you filmed this? Yeah. Now, to be fair, any city, any city in the world can be used a million times over with set dressing, clever lighting, and a bit of, you know, uh, a bit of ingenuity to make it look like anything because there's so much diversity and such. There's so much range and variety. You point a camera one direction, you're filming one location. You turn it literally 180 degrees the other way, you're filming somewhere else entirely. Um, I've, I have used Norwich all over for all kinds of things over the years because it's just convenient. Um, same thing with London. But the thing is, because of how London works and what's easy, what's safe and all that sort of stuff, you tend to see the same things over and over and over. And the bigger you get for the studios, the lazier and lazier it gets. And it's like, you know, oh, why do I keep seeing this one actor in movies? Because their agent's very good. Why do I keep seeing this one area in London all the time? Because it's a thing people want to see. It's a landmark they're used to. So when you see areas that are shot and supposed to be London that are not London, it becomes very obvious. Same whenever anything's filmed in New York. Everybody goes, fuck off, that's not New York. Where the fuck did you film this? It's like, oh, it's Vancouver. And it's like, oh, something like that. It's like, oh, we shot this in, in, in Chicago. It's way cheaper and the union laws are yeah. different, so we ended up shooting it somewhere yeah. else. It becomes embarrassing. Because budgets. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So uh, I'm, an example I remember from last year before the cinemas closed down because of coronavirus was Bloodshot with Vin Diesel. Vincent oh, yeah. Diesel. <laughs> um, and there's a scene where he goes to London to visit, because uh, he's, he's been on, you know, on ice, as it were, and he goes to visit his his ex, and she's got this new life and a kid, <sighs> and she's in London, and he goes. To London. I think there's like one shot that looks like maybe like it could be a London street, but it's from like so strangely, like it's like filmed from a bush, um, <laughs> through on a phone or something. Like, why can't I barely see anything? It's like we'll just get like a body double or something like whatever it is, and you do cut to a close up of a door, and then there's a chase sequence where these agents are trying to chase Vincent Diesel's character. I keep saying Vincent Diesel. Vin Diesel's character through London. And it's like, wait. It gets me every time, Vincent Diesel. Yeah, so these streets time. are very wide and very plush greenery that's... And I don't mean like, because there's a forest green that England has. It's like, this looks much, very different. And wait, 
and you look at the cars, the cars all look different. The fucking license places are all Where did you film this? And I think it was like South Africa or something like that, or wherever it was. And you're like, just, I don't understand. If it's that much trouble, <laughs> just say it was South Africa. Just go, if you're already filming there, just say it was, did it need to be London for any specific reason? Was there was anything you were getting by saying it was London? And it's like, oh no, we just wanted to because of recognizable, you know, London, comma, England. Like, no, thank God. you for clarifying. Um, and it's a very strange thing when you substitute these things because you're like, oh, you know, we could just shoot it down the road. We, we're not going to, we're going to shoot it elsewhere. And, and obviously, as we mentioned, as Tim mentioned at the start, if you're doing that with a medieval place where there is no example of it contemporarily, that makes complete sense, utter complete sense. So of course you'd want to go somewhere like, where are you filming this, this medieval London thing? We're filming it somewhere outside of Prague. Oh, okay, interesting. Because there's enough cultural, uh, not cultural, enough architectural examples um, that we can use that are still intact. It's like, fair enough, that makes complete fucking sense. But then you get to the point if you're like, well, why don't you just film this in London? It's like, well, why don't you just film this down the road? Oh, no, 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 we're not doing that. We're going to have to film it somewhere else. We're going to film it. I think, didn't, was it Glasgow that, that doubled for Washington, D.C. in World War Z or something like that? Sure. Yeah, yeah something, something like, like that. that. It's, it's one of the things that happens all the time. It's just, it's just nature of film scouting and all this sort of stuff. You want to, it's, it's cheaper and easier to get it and blah, blah, blah. But London gets substituted a lot and you notice the things. Um, and then, of course, there's Cats, which is set in London, both a fictional London. Is it, though? And a London of the past. <laughs> oh, and it God. has representation of cat oh. people and oh. it's substituted oh, with this giant world i hate it man. i hate it i hate it so much trains size run... changing yes weird a warping morphing thing so what we're saying is cats is the best representation um, of london <laughs> yeah cockroaches with baby faces accurate london yeah so we're talking about london the big smoke the city of smog and if you're going to be in an urban environment you've got to take care of your skin cuz cuz you're just clog up your pores with grime and all that crap. And if you're looking for some way to improve your skincare routine, good news. Today's episode is presented by The Skin Store. For over 20 years, The Skin Store has been the number one destination for premium skincare, hair care and beauty products. With over 8,000 different products from 300 different brands, The Skin Store has you covered for all your hair, cosmetics, supplements and of course, skincare needs. Find your favourite brands like Elta MD, New Face, Olaplex and more, all in one place with gifts with every purchase. Right now, the Skin Store is offering our listeners 20% off your next purchase by using the code POD, that's code P-O-D, for 20% off your next purchase at skinstore.com slash pod.list. Skin Store, have the confidence to tackle the day ahead. Exclusions apply. Well, let's talk about some films set slash filmed in London, shall we, gentlemen? And I'm going to take the liberty of kicking things off because I feel I have the most stereotypical kind of thing that we mentioned before. <laughs> I'm going straight in with a Guy Ritchie gangster movie and I'm going to talk about Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels because that's, that's a pretty London film. I don't know if you, if you know that. It's a bunch of, bunch of fucking blokes in London, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So it's about basically the the dodgy gangstery kind of side of London is um introduced a lot of people to people like Jason Statham and Vinnie Jones, like they got their early starts in their career. Uh came out in nineteen ninety eight. 
as I mentioned, directed by Guy Ritchie, produced by Matthew Vaughan, who you may also know from the X-Men films and uh, Kick-Ass and all that kind of stuff as well. And, yeah, it's it's a very London-centric film. It's As you said, Matt, it's kind of central London kind mm-hmm. of thing. It's all about the kind of fencing, illegal things and, and all the dodgy, not necessarily, like, organised crime stuff, but, like, just a couple of blokes trying to make it out of their way, whereas Snatch is kind of a bit more focused on the organised crime things and the bigger organisations. Lockstock feels more like a couple of blokes just trying to get by by doing a bit of dodgy things on the back streets of London <laughs> and trying <laughs> trying to sell these uh, incredibly expensive, like these antique shotguns they're trying to sell and make money from. And hilarity ensues, basically, because it, it, I kind of set it up as a very like, oh, it's very dark and grimy and gritty. But the film is actually pretty funny, and that's kind of where Guy Ritchie kind of cut out that little niche for himself in the late 90s mm. with Lockstock mm. and Snatch and that kind of thing, is this crime comedy caper thing that is this tip now we see as like the typical London modern London gangster stuff with Jason Statham punching people and stupid Vinnie Jones with his big old guns and stuff and just being an odd man because he's, he's an odd man, <laughs> even though he's Welsh. Jones yeah exactly but yeah I I love that it's kind of not necessarily introduced me to London because like I said a lot of my family were from London and stuff like that but remember my dad watching that film with me for the first time and being like it's filmed in London mate I've been been down that shot oh there's that pub they've redone that pub to look like that thing and there's a there's like you can really see it is is a good example of actually filmed in London, where you can actually yes, see. Yes. Oh, they've just renamed that the front of that pub. But that is a very that one on the corner there. You can see. Oh, if you know that part of London, you'll recognise it straight away. And my dad, growing up in Hackney and that part of London, he grew up pretty rough, and he knew a bunch of blokes who would be trying to nick stuff off the back of vans and and just sure. do dodgy, dodgy shit whilst also pulling security for the local pub but they'd get into fights with the security of the other local pub and there'd be this big thing and all <laughs> this kind of stuff um from what i understand from my dad's side of the family it's full of crooks basically um like there, there's rumors that my dad's so my dad's sister's husband has ties to the craze and that's a whole mm. that's a whole thing and there's there's a bare knuckle boxing second cousin of mine that i've never met and all this kind of shit wow, walking cliches yeah absolutely all the all the london <laughs> cliches all happening at yeah. once so my dad was like that's your heritage there mate i was like oh brilliant <laughs> yeah great lovely <laughs> well lockstock is fantastic because i remember in the late 90s no sorry this is 1998 this thing came out and that's the year i moved to norwich and i saw london represented in a way that looked like london the the brickwork and the buildings and that sort of crappy looking brown Victorian bricks with these sort of rusted steel train tracks running over the top. It, it, it all feels like London to me, an older London that I recognise and I know that isn't usually the well-trodden streets of Westminster and Whitechapel and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, I mean, I mean, if just memories alone, it's like there's, 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 there's Bethnal Green and Hackney and uh, Dornicourt and, and Southwark Bridge. There's, there's so many bits and pieces you go, oh shit. And it's not a place doubling for another place mostly it's such you guys like this is I mean, the what film London is looks on like. a budget of like a million pounds yes like less than that i think so it's like yeah really low budget they were not building big sets until it was just like oh my mate owns this pub can we film in your pub for yeah. a couple of days is Precisely. that all right kind of thing yeah <laughs> and also the characters feel very londony there's lots of 
more so in Snatch and things, but there's some diversity going on there. It's mostly cheeky wide boys, and cheeky wide boys is very much what I think of with a certain degree of London criminals. And, and Sting, also Sting. Oh, yeah, Sting. <laughs> Sting owns a pub for some reason. Sting, Sting, who isn't he a Geordie? Uh, yes, he is, yeah. Not, not yeah. that you'd know, hearing Sting talk. No. Gordon. Um, yeah, it's, uh, well, the, the, point, the point is that to a fault... Guy Ritchie wants to uh, impress a certain sort of thing. He wants to put across this idea that I want to use something to be real. I want to be authentic. So I'm going to use actual criminals, actual boxers, <laughs> actual thugs. And you're like, but they're not actors, mate. And it's like, damn it, it's going to be a real thing. It's going to be real. It's going to be real, isn't it? It's like, you'll get some awkward scenes at times. <laughs> it's like, this guy's been, this guy's actually, you know, escaped hard prison time for what he's been doing. It's like, yeah, but he can be a big bruisery bloke. Hello? And it's like, he, he doesn't come across as intimidating, but he, he could kill you. And yeah, I know he could kill me, but that's not how acting works. <laughs> I have to believe it could kill me. And and I think I, the representation of London was very good. As a, The white boy mindset of like, everyone seems to know a boy or two is in a bit of a thing where they've low petty crime sort of stuff. And it's not, and it's the kind of thing you give a pass to. It's like, what's your, what's your thing? Oh, I, I sell a bit of, you know, weed here and there. It's like, what, what do you do? Oh, I, I, you know, I've done a bit of a... I, I bootleg DVDs. There's yeah, everybody knows it's, it's, a bloke who bootlegs DVDs. Alec, um, it's the, <laughs> Stuart it's and Alec. The, um, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, famous it's, Londoners, it's, it's, the Welshman <laughs> and the Norwegian. <laughs> it's it's the um it's the whole like it's not hurting anyone, is it? It's just if if the situation was better, they wouldn't be doing it. Get by, but, you, you know, know. they're just trying to, they're looking after their family. It's why right. I, I look uh, look. I would do the same to protect my family. What family are you talking about? Well, them, you know, they want to, you know, bacon sandwich. My dear old mum. Lovely. Yeah, my mum. She's been on the street for 50 fucking years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The point is that um, it it feels like it's made by people from that place in an attempt to tell a funny, and that's the key key word cheeky there, that sort of amusing story. Yes, it deals with, on, on a sort of degree, death but it's the bumbling criminal kind of thing it's like oh they mean well don't they they're not that bad they're all right boys they'll they'll get by <laughs> they'll be fine bit silly bit silly you know shouldn't be gambling with these nasty fellas and then you get real villains you get the real proper this is the villain of the story it's like oh how do you know he's the villain it's like because he's not wisecracking he's not like <laughs> having a drink with his mates he looks at you down the lens and goes i'll fucking kill you and it's like, oh no, he's a bad one. He's a bad one of the criminals. He's not the cheeky criminal. Um, and and that's kind of the that's kind of the point that the, you have like an arch nemesis villain character who is who is demonstrably evil. Um, but even then, they're almost laughable characters. Even then, they're still like, oh, you know. And I know we're going snatch is the one that comes up in almost a couple of seconds after talking about Lockstock because it was the heightened version for the Americans, basically because it was more accessible shall we say as a, as a sort of pseudo sequel um and for the fact that let's face it there's a scene in Lockstock where is it danny john jules yep is updating the characters and what's happened entirely using cockney rhyming slang with subtitles about what the fuck's going on a character called barfly and... jack because of course he is <laughs> and i i love all the different character names as well in, in both Lockstock and snatch almost no one has a real name and my dad which and, and all the people he grew up yep. with every fucking person has a nickname to the point right, where yeah. I have like five different nicknames. Both of my sisters have a bunch of nicknames. My mum has a nickname. My dad just gives nicknames to everybody he meets. Mm. And that is such a weird thing. Like we were living in the middle of nowhere in Norfolk and they're all just like a bunch of farmers down the pub and stuff. And my dad's just like, oh yeah, yeah. that's that's Two Blades Bill. 
that's that, <laughs> that's that's three toast Steve. Like you know, they're all got these it's, things. It's, it's it's the thing from Goodfellas, isn't it? It's it's everyone's got a name. I mean, I I know from my wife's family, my family, there's always like that's big Chris, that's little Chris, yeah, big P, little Pete, and it's the fact that you have got the like who's that? A Barney. All right. What's what's Barney's actual name? Chris. Yeah, that's but we already it, had that's a Chris. Exactly so he's Barney. My my dad knows two brothers who are David and Richard, who mm-hmm. are known as Bernard and Womble. <laughs> <laughs> and See, I, again, I think you, it's it's a very British thing, but a very much a representation of actual London, where your your name isn't as important as the pseudonym you're given by your friends. Um, so things like Bacon, even even you got, Tom, you got Bacon, so, Soap, Winston, Barry the Baptist, Hatchet Harry. <laughs> Nick the Greek, like like yeah. Nick the Greek is such a typical thing of like, oh yeah, it's, 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 it's yeah. Italian Tony, and yeah, it's Nick the Greek, and yeah. his, his full name is Nicholas Exthanopoulos, but nobody says that. They just no go, says oh, that. It's Nick yeah. the Greek, that'd be fine. Like, yeah, I I know a few people who are known as like Boris or the Russian, despite the fact that they're not. They're from fucking Lithuania, <laughs> yeah. and it's the whole like, why would you call them that? It's like, you know, that whole area, that Soviet Borisy, like you know, Stalin thing. It's like. That's incredibly offensive. Yeah. It's like, yes, but that's how, but that's how people. It's a former you. Soviet state. It's all the same, right? Yeah, oh. and that's that's the thing about that, that London mindset. It's like I've I, I've uh, very hyper language here, but I have baptized you with your new London name. Exactly, <laughs> this yeah. is what you are now. And it's like, oh yeah, it's like yeah, you're you're you know you're Irish Bill, like, but my name is Seamus. Yeah, fuck that noise. You're <laughs> Irish Bill, um, and um, and we just call you Rish for short. And it's like what? Um, and that's that's kind of the thing, and that's true of all well, all, but a lot of friendship groups. Even if you use people by their fucking handles on social media mm. or video games, well, that's becoming more and more popular. One of our patrons, yeah. Zenos, right? Yes, he goes by that name. Like he says, I, and it I, becomes... I interact with more people that call me Zenos than call me my birth name. So just call me Zenos. Yeah, like, cool. And that's the thing; it becomes more of a community aspect. Like, oh, I have now welcomed you in, and you, and it should be a point of exclusion and mockery, but it's not. Um, so yeah, Lockstock, I think is, and also it's got a very grungy late 90s cinematography and things like yeah, that definitely. and the music scores really well and it's got a really nice diversity of the There's score no London calling it feels by the like clash. sound yeah <laughs> no god and it, it's it sounds like music you'd hear in the late 90s in in london um with a range of things from this the sort of 70s onwards and stuff and yeah i i think it's a solid film personally tim how about you for your first pick i am going back in time oh taking a step back to the london of the past the post-war period, uh, and I am talking about an Ealing comedy from 1949, which was mm. a very good year for Ealing comedies. Mm. Uh, you had Whiskey Galore, you had Kind Hearts and Coronets, and you had this film, Passport to Pimlico. Which I wanted to choose, but Tim had already nicked it. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is, it's one of the classic Ealing comedies, and it's such a it's such a great concept. It's So it's set in London in, in 1949, and uh, a unexploded bomb is discovered, which was a very frequent uh, occurrence back in those days because the Blitz yeah. was only, you know, five or six years done. Um, you know, we're talking four years after the war ended. And in the process of rem- removing and, and uh, you know, safely detonating this bomb, they discover this kind of store of treasure under, I think it's a... Uh, it's either a pub or a greengrocer's or something mm. else that I'm completely misremembering. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, it's a store of treasure and included in it is a uh, a, a deed that essentially uh, reveals that for a period of time, the area of London 
called Pimlico, which isn't, it's not a full borough. It's a, which, I mean, we're talking 1949 was pre the current boroughs as they are being set yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, 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 you know, what you would call a neighbourhood uh, of London. It was basically ceded to the Duke of Burgundy and was never returned. And so <laughs> Pimlico is technically its own country. <laughs> and so it then develops into this sort of uh, social farce about this area in London setting up its own borders. Um, the the modern Duke of Burgundy comes over, um, who's this kind of aristocratic Frenchman, but kind of, you know, the, the sort of, well, you know, back then my family was... Uh, you know, aristocrats, but now I've just sort of got this title and a crumbling farmhouse somewhere. Um, but but I'm still very <laughs> fancy in French. Um, but uh, he kind of uh, allows them to set up a government and it's really a social satire about in that post-war period, we still had rationing in Britain because it was reconstruction after the war. Uh, you know, uh, London and a lot of other British cities had been completely devastated during the Blitz and resources were still not what they were. You know, America had this very yeah, instantaneous yeah. kind of post-war boom because the country hadn't really been impacted by the events of war, but apart from Pearl Harbor. Um, and so it could just kind of take that economic upswing and instantly kind of go into this era of prosperity. Whereas Britain, for the the rest of the 40s, most of the 50s, and even into the 60s, was still very kind of like, okay, we very nearly got invaded. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, it, it, if a few things had gone wrong, this country mm-hmm. could have had a very different, you know, history. Um, and... It, it took a long while for the country to recover from that. And so there was still rationing in in, uh, in effect and uh, various other laws that were, you know, restricting people's freedoms, essentially. And so the, the, the people of Pimlico realised, well, if we're not England anymore, we don't have to worry about rationing and things like that. And they start taking advantage of these new laws. And then the British government goes like, well, hang on, wait a minute. Uh, essentially, it becomes this little black market hub uh, because people are crossing over into it to buy all these things that they can't at the moment that are restricted. Um, and so you start getting, you know, what was initially just like, oh, it's funny, they're, they're technically their own country. It's like, hang on, no, we need to start setting up hard borders here. And, and stuff like uh, a tube train that's passing through Pimlico gets stopped and... All the people on it are like, uh, no, you, you actually, uh, you've crossed into our country now, so you'll need a passport to get out. <laughs> um, and it's sort of satirizing the, the, just the state of post-war Britain, but it's also, and there is so much nostalgia in this country for the war and so much looking at yeah, it through rose-tinted glasses of like, oh, that's the last time we were properly together and good old Winston Churchill who never did a thing. We touched on the heroism of Winston Churchill yeah. earlier. It's like, oh, God. Never did a thing wrong in his life at all. Um, <laughs> and, you know, oh, we pulled together with that blitz spirit and, you know, you could leave your front door unlocked because, you know... you And it's interesting how immediate that nostalgia was because you're talking about a film made in 1949 here or made in probably made in 48 came out in 1949 sure. um and already there are people who are like we don't have the same sense of community we did when they were dropping bombs on us um mm. and it's about a community pulling together because it's feeling it's suddenly 
feeling oppressed because the government has turned around and gone like, well, hang, hang on, wait a minute. If you are a different country, we need to start doing stuff. And it, it does stuff like it, you know, they, they get their water shut off and they get their electricity shut off because they're, they're, you know, they're not generating them. They're, that's coming in from yeah, England. Yeah. Um, and so it's about this blitz spirit returning to this neighborhood because what they thought was going to be this wonderful thing actually turns out to be incredibly complicated. So the community kind of pulls together in that way. And then the rest of London is also feeling incredibly sympathetic towards them. But the government kind of doesn't want them to get away with the things that they have, you know, the laws that they have essentially broken or ignored for that period. It's a very interesting satire of a a period of British history that doesn't really get examined a lot. And it's interesting because it's so tightly focused on a single London neighbourhood. You know, and so it has that real sense of identity of no, this is not just about London as a city. This is not just about the uh, you know, the 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 postcard image of London. It's like, oh look, Tower Bridge, Tower of London, double decker bus, Buckingham Palace. There you go. This is uh, rooted in the very kind of real struggles of like, no, this is a an actual neighbourhood dealing with the end of the war and what that means for for the people, but in a very funny way. So yeah. It's a it's a great film. I, I I thoroughly thoroughly concur. As I say, it was almost one of my choices. Um, I I love this movie. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, still holds up. Still really funny. The political and satirical notes are, yes, that's obviously farce, but it's 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 masterfully done because the the mentality and 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 talking to the audience, as Tim mentioned, the post war rationing Britain of like you're still shitting outside and you have a little token that you have to take somewhere to get one sausage. You're like, wow, that's my dinner for a week. Um, and so, but the war ended five years ago. It's like, yeah, but guess what? We still have to fucking make sure your food's coming in slowly. Um, you know, the recovery was, and that's why things like people say, like, oh, it was a great period back then. It's like, no, it isn't. That's why the craze came up in the fifties and sixties because people were taking advantage of this fucking stuff. Mm. Um, it, it took a lot, and we we had to get people in through like the Windrush thing to rebuild the fucking country. That's how it worked. And so this movie addresses that, saying, look. I know it's hard. We all are suffering really hard here. It's something we've got you can do about it from a personal point of view, but you have to keep that togetherness, that community. Even if the people across the border, in this instance being, you know, the Pimlico people, they're still your people. They're still Londoners. And that's this weird community that comes out of the movie that by the end, you know, they're sort of helping them smuggle things in out. Because, oh, it starts with, as Tim mentioned, the black market thing. Like, they've got everything now. They can live the dream. It's like, then it becomes more bureaucratic. And it's like, this is actually a lot harder than we expected it to be. I'm, you know, some some regular person, suddenly the chancellor kind of thing. Um, and th- the film ends with with a status quo sort of effectively going back and returning to. I uh, well, if we just cede the, the 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 our personal wealth that we have discovered and claimed ownership to this you know this treasure they've uncovered, if we cede that to Britain as a country, we'll all be better off. And will be a much closer, tight knit community, and they have a big party, and it ends up raining on it all. It's yes. like it's the classic. It's like, well, you can try, but it's going to fuck it up. <laughs> and it it is that very much that that British that London attitude. And I think that's again that's why it's a really a really fantastic example of of London. Because I, I, okay, I'm gonna give a New York example. Spider Man, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us, baby. This is New York. <laughs> yeah, that kind of fucking train thing. operators in New York. We're all there to help <laughs> Spider Man. Yeah, swing down on, this Spidey. very specific street. <laughs> It could be my kid. Um, it, it, London has a very similar thing. It's like, it's like it, I, I think there's a very much an, a clear mindset of like, oh, my dad's from Ireland. Oh, where's your dad from? Oh, my dad's from Pakistan. Oh, cool, cool. We're both Londoners, and that's the key thing. And and to not be a Londoner 
is a very distinct difference. It's like you step outside and suddenly it's like, oh Christ, I'm in a country now, I'm at North now. I'm in a West country now, all fucking farmers everywhere. You meet another Londoner. Why, right, mate? <laughs> it, it becomes a a a point of pride over something that should be prideful anyway, doesn't it? You have no choice in it usually. Um, but um, yeah, I think this film is a really interesting job of 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 playing a bit of a farce, trying to cheer up a, a community of people who are already fucking miserable in Britain, but so relevant now, so pertinently relevant. Yeah, it's weirdly. It feels like it should be mandatory viewing for a post-Brexit Britain. <laughs> yeah, I, I really think it should be. Because it just it just highlights. Oh, I thought I just have all this success on my own. It's like, well, you didn't think it through, did you, you idiot? You should cooperate with your neighbours and not piss around and say, oh, it'll be so much better. It's like it's going to get more difficult. Yeah, and and that that sense of this country, Britain talks about like, oh, you know, you go down the street, you used to. Okay, very quick side here. People not from London will say, oh, London, oh, couldn't pay me to live in London. God, no one ever says hello. No, no time of day. Everyone's really mean. <laughs> Faces dour, walking through the street, knock you down. Oh, terrible. People from London, it's like when you leave London, it's like, God, oh, there's no community around this country. No one knows each other. There's no there's no sense of like togetherness, you know? I don't know what they're doing, but I can't I can't feel connected to these people. Better you say, All right, mate, how you doing? Nothing. Get nothing back. You're like, oh, don't know who you are. It's so stupid, but yeah. it's this 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 antagonistic mindset. But Pimlico's that sort of like airs of that quite nicely in a very funny way. Matthew. Hello. Round to our most Londony Londoner for your first pick. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my skin. Um, so I had a lot of options here of what I wanted to do. Tim took one of them. And um, the more you think or more I thought about it, the more that kept cropping up. And the problem is my examples are both not nice. <laughs> um, I decided to go for films that showed parts of London very well and very successfully because they're showing London as it, as it is and things but not parts of London you necessarily might want to talk about. My first pick is The Long Good Friday. The Long Good Friday is a 1980s movie uh, by John McKenzie, and it, it, it stars Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins! Good old Bob Hoskins. As Errol Shand. It's set in the late, uh, the late 70s, I don't know. And he is a, uh, a gangster. Probably like, you know, a wheeler dealer. And I don't mean like a, a, a cheeky wide boy like in Lockstock. He's the bad guy sort of gangster. He's the, I'll break your fucking legs. I don't want to know that. A lot of that from Hoskins. And, um, Lovely bit of ASMR there for the listeners. Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> Helen Mirren plays his, uh, a, his partner. And stuff. Bob Hoskins ASMR. That's what we need. You watch the final, the final scene of him in the back of the car, realising what's going to happen to him. He's like, <laughs> didn't ask for he's more. like, I can't do anything about it. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> you didn't ask for more. It's coming. Right. Okay. So the point is, London is out of the swinging sixties into the seventies and getting into the eighties, and it's it's starting towards yuppie criminal bullshit. It's not only getting to the um. There's this edging towards what we now know as the, the sort of property boom of 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 shady criminals buying up all the sort of stuff. And one particular individual played by I say Bob Hoskins, Harold Chand. He is a, a nasty piece of work gangster, and he is trying to do that typical thing. Of becoming a legitimate businessman, mm, trying to go I'm straight. I'm a legitimate. Trying to go well, sort of, yeah, <laughs> mostly straight, yeah. And he uh, does this by forming a partnership with the mafia in America. Yeah, that's how you go um, straight, right? That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. So where do you get the money from? Where do you get the capital from to redevelop the docks, the London Docklands, 
um, mostly so when there's like the Olympics come through, he can sell the land off and he's trying to go that way. The problem is he uh, has fucked off the IRA in the process. And he's like this whole process of, of, of the investigation behind him and things. And he's been under pressure and things. He, they find that he's uh, effectively ticked off the wrong people um, and the navvies, which was this whole thing. I read it. <laughs> the point is, he doesn't appreciate what he's done. He's like, I'm trying to go straight. I'm trying to be legitimate. You know, I'm trying to get America on the phone here. And you're telling me the Irish are stopping me. And he's like, he doesn't understand that he's crossed Belfast and all these sorts of bits and pieces. And he tries to embezzle some money, 60,000 pounds of the time and double crossing back and forth. And it's, it's wonderful. The story's really good. Obviously, it's a tense criminal film with amazing fucking score. Uh, I'm not going to try and imitate it, but it's, it's a really good sort of theme. But it shows London from a side that you wouldn't see from... Uh, things in black cabs driving around certain parts of London. And it showed what the London they're trying to aspire to with a Savoy Hotel and all these sorts of like really triumphant, successful parts of London that's just a hair's breadth away from him. Legitimacy is just there. He could be part of the, the legitimate criminals, you know, the politicians and the boys. But he doesn't. He lives in this, he, 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 he I mean, lives in the sense that he uh, operates in this more underhand area. And at the end of the film, weirdly enough, is Pierce Brosnan <laughs> and the film ends I'm not going to spoil too much but he just turns around and with a gun in his hand he just smiles at Hoskins and he just then does a long car ride over the as the credits roll as it were and the music plays but it's the idea that it shows so much of London visually the people uh, as actors and things are very London-y there's no, there's no uh, imitation him trying to show off what London can be and what it is and trying to and it's, it's, it's an interesting metaphor for the city itself I'm trying to shirk off my old image, you know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be respectable. People are coming out for tourism, for the, for Olympics and stuff, you know. What about all those fucking crimes and the poverty and the stuff that you've got in your skeletons, in your closet? Uh, that's all done, mate. That's all the past. Don't worry about it. And at the same time, you're still doing all this corrupt bullshit. It's still happening in the background. It's like you're not really changing, though, are you? I want to get the impression, the image. I'm a proper man, and it's this, this small man like Bob Hoskins standing up to all these people. And again, Ireland fucks him over at the end. Um, and it's like, ah, the story of London. Um, and especially this is the late 70s going into the 80s. It was it was a bold thing. And I, I, I think it's a fantastic movie. I think it's really well done. And it's it's kind of tragic because it's there are films where you see criminals and you're like, oh, I fucking, I want to see The Sopranos. I want Tony to succeed. I wanted him to succeed. Then the final season, I want to see him get shot. It's like, why? You were just rooting for him for six seasons. Why do you now want to see him shot in the face? What would that bring you? Would that make it better? I just, I want to see it. You don't get to. And that's what it is here. It's like, it's the kind of criminal where you should hate him. He is technically destroying London. But because we've given him in the underdog sort of uh, aspect to it, you're like, oh, I want him to succeed. I want London to succeed. Why? London hates you. <laughs> Why would you care? Um, I think it's fascinating mention of, of uh, how much of an impact the IRA and, and Ireland uh, mm. Has on on the Long Good Friday, um, which I haven't seen, but it's it's one of those ones oh, I keep magnificent. Yeah, keep meaning mm. to, um, because I think people, even probably people of Jack's age and 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 younger, don't realise how much of an like it's it's a thing that isn't really discussed anymore. Um, obviously, England fucked up Ireland to a huge degree. Um, but, um, we might be about to again. Yes, Thanks, Brexit. Um, but basically, from the 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 late sixties, sort of early seventies, through to pretty much till about nineteen ninety nine, which is when the Good Friday Agreement uh, got sorted, like terrorism in London was a 
by uh, the IRA and, and, and people affiliated yes, with them yes. was a regular concern. Like people, I think it was about 50 people were killed over the course of those 30 years. Uh, and there were constant like bomb threats. And it's like it has impacted the the geography of the city in a lot of ways, in, in often very minor ways. But stuff like a, a lot of the bins that you will see around London are new because they're uh, and yeah. in train stations you'll never get a proper bin it'll be like a, a plastic hoop that's got a uh, a clear plastic bag like f- yep. floating yep. down from it because there was a constant fear that bombs would be put in bins in train stations and so yeah it, it's all these kind of little things that you that have an impact on how the city works and and the the spirit of the city and that time like especially the 70s and the 80s there was a slight uh, at the back of everyone's mind, there was a constant fear of like, oh yeah, but a bomb could go off at any time. Um, yeah. And it's something that, that because it, it thankfully, you know, ended, well, more or less ended with the Good Friday agreement and, <laughs> yes. and dropped off like hugely, it's fallen out of memory very quickly. Um, and I think people who don't, you know, obviously being not that much older than Jack, it's the very tail end of my memory that I can remember these things happening. But I think people who are, you know, in their teens or or 20s now probably have no memory of that really occurring unless they were actually affected by it. But if you, you know, if you were growing up in Manchester or Bristol or whatever, you know, you've got no real reason to have worried about that at the time. And and I think people forget that London had that going on for that period. Obviously, nothing compared to the problems that we caused in Northern Ireland and <laughs> no, Ireland, no, no, but no. but it is still something that impacted the city during that period. See, my wife always t- talks about how when in '96 she would have been like 11, she remembers being woken up in the middle of the night, as it were, when the Canary Wharf bombs went off because she could feel it because hmm. that was crazy. I remember when I moved to Nor- and Tim brought up a perfect example there. I remember I moved to Norwich and I was like, there are no bins here. That makes sense because I was the sort of area I was living in. Because, you know, bombs. And I was like, why is it still clean, though? Turns out there's no bins because it just didn't really walk around Nor- the, the, the areas of Norwich much. I mean, like, the part I was living in. But I remember taking a bus to the city and said, as I was leaving the bus, to the bus driver, uh, I don't know if you want to know, there's a bag at the back of the bus. Um, I don't know what you guys do. And he said, oh, you can probably have that. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> yeah, as long as there's nothing in it, it's a personal, you can have that. I said, but it might be a bomb. Why would it be a bomb? What? <laughs> I was like, if you see a bag, it's unattended. It's a bomb. That's how it works. What don't you people understand? You fucking country fuck. And they get off the, you know, the, the bus. But also, you can have that. Fuck you. It's. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you got it lost? Uh, lost and found? Nope. Some old fucking London Irish guy just, had it. Just, uh, fucking just too, Irish. too much effort to get lost and found. There's paperwork. Just have it, mate. It'll be fine. You'll be right. Just have it. So I remember that. So I was thinking, but what? Because again, it was such. It's like that wouldn't be a. a a, a, a fear in certain parts of, of, of the country, but in other parts of the country. It's what I don't understand about, I'm not going to get into it, the current political climate. It's like, you do remember how bad it was just 20 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. The, pe- the bombs were going off all the time. There was threats of bombs. People were not safe. It was a terrible, terrible time. It's like, yeah, but sovereignty? <laughs> I, I was I was eight years old and in Norwich, there were no bombs to be found, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, and the problem is that people of the, a certain age and generation, even are, and, and younger people as well, don't remember those times, so like, can't be that bad. It is also kind of enhanced, I guess, like focused on because you have Irish family as well. I have, oh, I have definitely. no ties to Ireland whatsoever from my family. Yeah. Sure, I have the ties to London, but 
uh, you know, when, you know, so the, the Good Friday Agreement was done in 1999, I was eight or nine years old at that point. Like, I'm so, I was aware of the IRA, that phrase and the concept of like car bombings and all that kind of stuff. But that is very much like before my time and stuff like that. And it is, yeah, there, there is still kind of remnants of that mm. happening in Northern Ireland and Ireland now. And as as I kind of jokingly hinted at earlier, like there could mm. be some serious fucking problems because of Brexit and hard borders and Definitely. Ireland trying, maybe possibly trying to unify again and all this stuff. I know we've spun off into politics again, listeners. Kind <laughs> of hard, what kinda, comes up with these films. Kind of hard to avoid. But yeah, yeah. I, it's a weird thing to kind of, I know you and, uh, Matt, you've mentioned this to me and Emma before because you were mentioning sure. films that discuss like the troubles and, and like all this like Irish history stuff. I'm like, I haven't seen any yeah. of this shit. I've I've no. not seen any of these mm. kind of things that give you a lot of history about that time in Ireland or the time of the IRA and and all that kind of stuff. It's so such a kind of blind spot for me in many ways. I know all the kind mm. of cliches and the obvious big things, but like like you said, Tim, oh, fifty people died in those twenty years or whatever the statistics are. Mm. I would have no idea. If you'd have said 100 people died a year, I'd have been like, fucking hell. If you'd like, 100 people died in 30 years, I'd be like, fucking hell, that's a lot of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have no yeah. concept of like how devastating and how much of a impact, day-to-day yeah. like concept mm. that was to people at the time. And yeah, it's it, like I say, it's something that's just not discussed anymore. Yeah. But partially because when you start digging into it, England looks really fucking bad. This is the thing. No, that's why, surely not. <laughs> that's what Long Good Friday talking about it. It's like, the IRA, and I think I'm, I just clarify here, being, you know, I'm not like up the raw. I'm um, very much aware of both sides of the argument from the Irish side of things. The English don't have a side of the argument, I'm afraid. But obviously, domestic terrorism is fucking awful and deplorable. But I remember having an argument when I moved to Norwich with one guy who's a kid, sort of a friend of mine, and his dad served over in Northern Ireland. And he didn't see him much growing up because of that. And so he was very point of contention said, I was Irish. I didn't, it wasn't a point of pride. You don't talk about these things very proudly much when you're a kid because you want to keep your head down and get beaten up. It's like, oh yeah, well, if you're Irish, you should get out then. You know, my dad was over in in, in Northern Ireland serving and I didn't see much of his kid. And I said, and I whispered and said, well, maybe you shouldn't have fucking been there then because that's the animosity you get. And it's like, it's not your country. And it's just like, you know, you're an invading force. And the Long Good Friday is like this, this just ambivalence, this complete bewilderment from Hoskins' character. It's like, what have I done to the Irish? And it's like, you've taken advantage of a lot here, you fucking idiot. You don't realise what I mean. I don't want to spoil the story because I think people should genuinely watch it, but it's the whole, like, that ignorance of, well, what have I done? It's like, exactly. You don't know what you've done. And that's part of the problem. Um, And this repercussion is always coming. You think you can escape it, your past will catch up to you. And that, again, why I feel it's a, it's a wonderful representation of London and Britain in, in its extended form. There was supposed to be a sequel, by the way, called Black Easter Monday. Yeah. Ah, uh, well, you know what it's about. The title is not good, um. So I won't spoil what the how the film ends or doesn't end in Longer Friday. But um, Hoskins' character basically gets out of London as fast as he can to get away from the Irish, goes to Jamaica, and then he finds out that the East End has been taken over by Yardies. Um, and there's a big Yardies is a term for like uh, Jamaican criminals in in a certain sector of them in in London. And um, the Yardies were for, uh, terrifying for a while because at the end of the day, the worst they could do was be deported to Jamaica. And it was like, and? I don't give a fuck. I'll just get back in again. And so it was that, you know, some British people were terrified of crimes and all oh, prison sentence, do a bit of bird, whatever it needed to be. But you're like, yeah, but if you're a Yardie, you're, you get deported and you're straight back in again. Now, obviously that's not entirely true at all, but that's how it was presented under the criminal underworld. So people were scared of them. So the idea from this sequel would be that Hoskins would come back to fight the Yardies. And I'm like, that could have gone horribly. I cannot see a film in the <laughs> 80s about 
Bob Hoskins coming back to East London to fight Jamaicans called Black Easter Monday being something that's going to be really fucking good. Mm. But then, to be fair, it could have been written beautifully. I don't know. Yeah, possibly. But it didn't happen, so who knows? Hey, Jack. Hey, Matt. What have you got for us? I've got... We're going out in the countryside a bit, and then we're heading down to London. Fucking northerners. I know, right? We're actually going a bit... Well, sort of, and I'll definitely touch on this. We're starting in the Yorkshire Moors, up north. Bloody Yorkshire. Bloody Yorkshire. And my... Uh, my partner Emma's family is all from Yorkshire, so I've learned a lot about northern stuff over the last five <laughs> years. Very interesting part of the country. And then we're heading down to Trafalgar Square, the London Zoo, Tottenham Court Road, all that nice little central London the bit. The world's fucking longest ambulance ride. The longest, yeah. Savaged <laughs> in Yorkshire, let's get him to London. Get him down to London, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Of course, what, what was he savaged by, Tim? He was savaged by an American werewolf in London. <laughs> which is actually kind of an American werewolf in Yorkshire, but um, <laughs> he just ends up in London. And yeah, uh, I, I adore it this is, film. It is a, it's a Yorkshire werewolf, isn't it? Yeah. To start with. Yeah, absolutely. They start but off the in Yorkshire the Yorkshire werewolf is a shit film title. <laughs> <laughs> An American werewolf on the moors. Just picturing like a really like underfed wolf with a flat cap on. <laughs> <laughs> a whippet. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Sorry, northerners. I apologize. <laughs> You can tell we're, we're a bunch of southerners. We're all, we're all soft southerners. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Never worked a day in our lives. Exactly. Uh, so American Werewolf in London is a 1981 classic, uh, fair to say. Done by the, uh, un- unfortunately, John Landis. We've, we've mentioned John Landis before. Problematic John Landis. Po- yeah. Possibly murdered some people, John Landis. <laughs> well, let's not focus on that. Possibly about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's on camera. <laughs> um, yeah. And... Yeah, essentially the film starts with these two American backpackers and they are out on the Yorkshire Moors. David and Jack hanging out, just being bros, you know how it is, you Americans. Complaining about England. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they stop at a local pub and it's all this kind of like weird satanic like pentagram stuff starts happening and and uh, Jack is killed, David is bitten by this huge werewolf, wolf type monster creature. And they think, oh, yeah, we killed the, 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 the couple of the guys from the pub come in and kill it and all this kind of stuff. And then the film descends into some sort of madness where you get the surviving David, as you mentioned him, after a very long ambulance ride down to London because <laughs> attacked in, I guess you could argue it with like, oh, they know, they know about the supernatural stuff. Like, oh, yeah, we've got a werewolf specialist down in London. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how we argue around it. It's fine. He's got to have time for his Nazi dreams, doesn't he? So exactly, yeah. He starts. David, the survivor, David, starts dreaming about how, like, Jack is this weird undead ghoul, essentially haunting his nightmares and his dreams. Turns out that David, the survivor, was also bitten by the wolf, and is a werewolf himself. Mm-hmm. And it's basically his descent into madness and him coming to terms with being a werewolf and coming to terms with the loss of his friend. There's some incredible special effects from the legendary Rick Baker. Like, that is really kind of the star yeah, of the yeah, show of all of this, yeah. really. And, yeah, it, it does a genuinely good job of representing, like, the Yorkshire Moors and, and other bits and, and, like, little rural villages and stuff. And it's all filmed in Wales. And you're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> because of, all of the UK is basically interchangeable. And, yeah, they use a tiny little village in Wales and some hills essentially the equivalent of the moors in wales to represent the yorkshire moors and all this kind of stuff 
But they do actually film in London. And I won't spoil the ending for you guys. But they do end up going down to, like, I mentioned, like, into the underground. There's a London Zoo. You see Trafalgar Square, Tottenham Court Road. It's all kind of a Piccadilly Circus is a big thing because yeah, I think yeah. they were the first film to to be, get permission to film in Piccadilly Circus in, like, 20 years or something like that. Mm, and mm. they basically bribed their way into it, <laughs> letting, a, <laughs> letting a bunch of people come to the premiere and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it uses real locations and it it makes it feel so much more believable. And I guess I because I didn't have that much of a reference point for the Moors, I wouldn't be able to be like, uh, that's clearly Wales. But when the film does get to London, I think it does really, really resonate and really work really well with that setting and having... Agreed. You've got David being this fish out of water in like multiple ways with him dealing with the loss of his friend, dealing with him becoming a werewolf and also being an American in England it's kind of like this <laughs> three-pronged attack of his psyche and his experiences and all this kind of stuff and it is it's really really interesting kind of character study from David's point of view and yeah I really really love this film I think it's 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 a bit of a classic that a few people sleep on and the special effects mm. still hold up to this day that werewolf transformation is fucking terrifying to this day it's yeah. it's it's incredible like it's it's one of those things I still look at and I go I don't know how you fucking did that. <laughs> Practical effects alone, the makeup is gorgeous. The, the performance, is, it's surprisingly funny uh, yeah, at times. Yeah, it is. Um, and it also highlights a lot of, uh, two, two aspects of British, British culture, as it were, British, British-ism, shall we say. One, which is that sort of walk into a, a, a pub. And this is true of people who live here as well in the countryside. You walk in a pub like, hi, everybody. And everyone looks at you. Long, he's not local. Where's he come he's from? He's not from around here. And it, but they're also well-meaning to a degree. Don't talk about that. You stay here, lad. You don't need to be going outside. You know, it's like okay, it's like you try and protect me, kind of, but not really. Um, and then down there and that there, London, a bit of rarity. Usually, the the classic British fear is that something from the city is going to kill the people from the countryside because <laughs> the city kills all, the corruption kills all, this classic Victorian mindset. Whereas an American mindset is a thing from the woods is what's going to, is where our horror lies because of what we did in the past and we being America. You know, the 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 the, the atrocities about the indigenous people of the American nation. Um, or our island, uh, the country of America, just like, because it's always like, well, going out into the wilderness is what's terrifying. It's what's in the woods that's terrifying. It's the isolation that's terrifying. Whereas in Britain, it's like the city is what's going to kill you. So the other way around is quite a novel thing for us to see London as not only... Uh, it's it's not like, oh, this guy went to London and London killed him. It's like, no, he was in the fucking countryside <laughs> and then London sort of tried to save him uh, in a weird way, the people of London. But it's it's a great fucking film. It's really holdable. It's, it's still the practical effects. Like, you know, CGI looks ass sometimes. Practical effects look ass sometimes, but these practical effects look just astonishingly good and terrifying. I mean, and a bit pony in places. It's, it's within a year of the thing, and you can totally see the similarities between using mm, being able to mm. use the practical effects and having the kind of yeah, yeah. psychological side of things tying into the the horror of the practical effects working really well as well. I think those yeah. two films, you know, eighty one for American Werewolf and eighty two for the thing, really resonate me for kind of touchstones for god practical effects can look good and will mm. hold up you know 40 years later essentially so much more so than a lot of cgi that was tried back in the day 
granted there are some just, exceptions to that rule of course and a lot of people yeah. blend practical yeah. and cgi and all that kind of stuff but those two films mm-hmm. really stand out to me as when people say like oh no we can just use cgi for that i'm like yeah but but there's these other things that they did 40 <laughs> years ago that still look good and have aged well yeah. because of how well they were designed and, and brought to life mm. And it's remarkably shocking because not only we're not, not not just David's transformation with wolf face skull pushing through the skin. That's pretty raw. That's pretty terrifying. And the as I mentioned before, the SS werewolf Nazis. Yeah, it's it's a whole thing. Specifically, it's 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 Jack's makeup. The makeup yeah. of Jack having his completely lacerated and covered, but it's fucking and decaying slowly over time. Yeah, the fact that uh, the ghoulish him haunting David's dreams and becoming more and more decayed as the film goes on. Is yeah. so good and so brilliant, and and not something that and and like you said, Jack is kind of the weird comedic break as well. It, it's so mm. it's such a weird balance that they managed to strike, mm. and I think um, Griffin Dunn, who plays Jack, and David Norton, who plays David, do an amazing job of kind of still bouncing off each other, even when yeah, they're in yeah. this kind of terrifying situation. There's no reason seeing the haunting face of your decaying recently deceased best friend <laughs> should be funny but jack is there still making laughs and making david laugh and stuff yeah. like that i and love griffin dunn he's we mentioned he, this on the future world episode he's great isn't yeah he? he's so rarely like he crops up in things very he it, it feels like he goes years between roles yeah. um but then he'll he'll show up in something and be like oh it's him he's great he is oh we should also point out for a bit of history context here uh, other than a few, I think maybe like two special awards. This movie, American Werewolf in London, is the first recipient of the Best Makeup Oscar, mm. which we now know as Best Makeup and Practical Effects, things like that. Um, and fucking deservedly so. If you yeah. want to come out with the gates with a big one, this is, yeah, makes complete sense. So yeah, go and check out American Werewolf in London, everybody, for a, an actual film shot in London and bits of Yorkshire and Wales. Because, <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you... If, if the uh, recent talk of the thing from our live streams and and from doing the prequels and stuff like that, and you want yeah. some more practical effects in the eighties and a bit more horror and a bit more psychology and some humour as well, I really, really recommend American Werewolf in London if you haven't seen it already. Tim, over to you for your second pick, please, sir. Uh, so my second pick, a lot more contemporary, and uh, I'm taking us south of the River Boys, oh, uh, closer closer <laughs> to to my neck of the woods, uh, to Brixton. Yeah. For Attack the Block. Hey, uh, so which... great film. You got to Passport to Pimlico before Matt did. You got to Attack the Block before I did, because this was definitely <laughs> going to be one of my picks. Brilliant choice. Yeah. Brilliant choice. Great movie. Yeah. Uh, so Attack the Block, uh, 2011 uh, film uh, directed by Joe Cornish, who many people of my age will know as uh, from the Adam and Joe show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it is is uh, for people who don't know it it's essentially an alien invasion story centering on a tower block a block of flats an apartment that's what building. a block is america a city block we yes. hasten to add uh so an, uh, essentially an apartment building uh in south london and uh these beast like aliens fantastic looking special effects for the aliens yeah. so unique you mentioned them on monster the monster episode i think we yes. did tim yeah yeah yeah, yep. yeah. Essentially, they 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 they're these beast-like aliens. They land uh, initially. It's a, a sort of a baby one uh, that lands, uh, and these basically this this small-time gang of youths beat the shit out of it, uh, and then a bunch of the adult ones show up and 
because they have the scent of the baby over them, the 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 gang is then targeted by these aliens. Um, it's best known probably now for being John Boyega's breakout role. Yeah, um, yeah and then yeah. it took him fucking ages because because Hollywood's quite racist. Uh, um, <laughs> for for anyone to then cast him in something new, and then he got cast in Star Wars, and it was like, oh, brilliant! And then you know he's still he's getting some decent roles now, but like, should mm. I still think he should be a bigger star than he is? Um, Agreed. But it's kind of an exercise in empathy. Uh, and Joe Cornish says he he got the idea after being mugged in London, and this this gang kind of held him up took his wallet and as they were doing it he realized how young they were and essentially the same same thing kind of happens at the start of the film where a character played by Jodie Whittaker who's now Doctor Who um gets robbed by this gang um and later they 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 find out she lives in the same apartment block uh and 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 are like oh you know we would we 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 never would have done it if we knew you were from the block um yeah so essentially i mean you start out and it's a group of young black kids who pretty, you know, and you see them mugging people, you know, it, it society teaches us to vilify this group, you know, to fear, you know, oh, you know, oh, these street youths, you know, they're going to come around, they're going to mug you or, you know, they're, they're yeah. fucking around with, you know, drugs and whatever. Um, and then the film puts us in their shoes and you realise that, no, these are just kids who are doing what they can to survive. And, a, they're still very young, um, and B, they're they're in an area where there's not a lot of opportunity. They're doing their best. Some of them, you know, want to try and get out of this area, and some of them are sort of more resigned to this is what their life is going to be. And then it just then it throws aliens into the mix, um, and it becomes this often very very funny sci-fi action uh, survival adventure. Um, you know, it came just after Shaun of the Dead had come out um, and was, was kind of marketed in a very similar way in that it's this good, kind of British take on a genre film. But I think I think in, in a lot of ways, you know, it, it may not have the level of inventive direction uh, that, that Shaun of the Dead does, but I think it probably holds up better um, mm-hmm. just because it does, it gives you... It gives you the experience that of these kids who aren't often represented, especially not represented well uh, in British media, and it's and it's the kind of thing you know the the I I cannot speak surprise surprise I can't really speak to the black experience in Britain, but <laughs> so much of the uh, the sort of the black representation that happens mm, um, yeah. in film is African American, yeah, um, and there is. There are there is a black British experience that is very rarely. We've just had the Small Axe series mm-hmm. uh, by Steve McQueen, which are fantastic series of films about about the the black British experience, and it's agreed. It's something that that isn't explored enough in cinema. Um, these stories aren't told, you know, because we'd much rather have Richard Curtis show us We're Notting not Hill with, yeah. with 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 no black people in it. You know, yeah. um, it's. Um, so it's a really it's a really underserved area of of storytelling, and the performances are so great. John Boyega, like like I say, I can't understand why. Well, I can understand why he's not a bigger star, but like yeah. it, it's such a great performance by him as this this sort of reluctant leader of this group who is just kind of 
who just has this little found family of mm-hmm. of his own who is exists in this area of like we say there there are parts of it, London that are fabulously wealthy and there are parts of London that are just massive deprivation um and he is someone who comes from one of those parts and he's just doing what he can to survive and to help his friend survive and that ter- that that transforms from a kind uh, from one form of existential threat to another over the course of the film to a, to more mm. a more visceral kind with with glow in the dark claws and stuff like that <laughs> um but you you completely understand where he's coming from um and yeah, such so, such a great film. A part of London that you don't see explored. You know, South London, you know, especially once you get, you know, more than a mile south of the river uh, is not is not shown on film as much. Yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think I think uh, uh, a film about an underserved community and a really load of fun at the same time. So, you know, hot take. I think Attack the Block is better than anything Edgar Wright has ever directed. I I don't not being antagonistic about it because I think Edgar Wright has an amazing visual style, but I think in terms of what's held up better, which actually feels well constructed. Yes, Hot Fuzz is a really fun film. I know a lot of people like Baby Driver and stuff like that, but who likes um, Baby Driver? Surprising. Oh people. God. And um, you know, uh, Scott Pilgrim has a lot of stuff to it. <laughs> in terms of like what it does <laughs> visually, Scott Pilgrim has and writes a lot of stuff. It does a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, attack the block. And the reason I bring up those comparisons because Tim was right; it was marketed as the same sort of thing. People were disappointed because it wasn't the exact same thing. It's like this is actually better because of it. Um, but Kapow, which is a London Comic Con thing mm. back in like man, ten years ago, my wife met John Boyega and a few other people, and it was great. And then it's got a signed card upstairs, and that actually other enough. Um, and it was great because it, it it what's the official terminology? What do they call it? Uh, it's a multi. Ethnolect, I think it is called, which multicultural London English, basically. Mm, In other mm, words, yeah. And I don't, I don't speak. I don't have that experience. I had a lot of diversity in my friendship groups in school, and then moved to Norwich. But I didn't have what is now the late nineties, early two thousands London sound, which is very much so. I mean, people hear it in like grime music for specific. That's a very specific dialect, specific language, uh, and and stuff. And for that reason, it impeded the release of Attack the Block because, uh, and let's face it, it was American audience initially, but international market, and let's face it, anywhere outside of London was like, I can't understand them. I don't know what they're saying. It's like, that's disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it is great representation. It's also, it does feel like a bit of a, a, a social political commentary, a bit of the same like Passport to Pimlico in a way, because it is saying these kids are forced into a situation that they don't want to be in because they're not being supported and there is a threat constantly that they are being they are evading and no one will believe them and at the end of the movie they're arrested and it's like what's mm. your fault kids and it's like mother i have done everything i can to try and save you and save this thing and this is the thanks i fucking get it's like yeah that's how this country does it yeah i love attack the block i think it's fantastic so yeah matt our final choice comes to you tricky one here um i'm gonna stick with crime again um and i'll be <laughs> i'll be uh it's, it's a trouble so it's it's a film that i really enjoy about crime in london directed by a Canadian, <laughs> starring an Australian, an American, a French person, a German, who are all supposed to be British-Russian. So <laughs> it's it's one of those things of like classic, like we're going to do representation, but not well. It's a very grim fucking story, Eastern Promises, about just, just some miserable, miserable shit about a whole aspect of London that you don't think of. And we talk about, you know, 
slavery has ended in this country. It's like, I mean, in one form, yeah. Sex slavery is still fucking huge. Blind Boy is a Irish podcast. I did a thing about it on TV a while ago for BBC about brothels opening up in London, especially. And within a week, they're gone kind of thing. You know, they'll be, they'll be passed around. And it'll be literally uh, Eastern European girls shipped in 14, 15 years old, whatever it's going to be, and sold for sex, etc. And all kinds of awful things. And the criminal underground is still there. It's just behind closed doors and you don't see it, you know? Um, and people in this country hijack a lot of stuff like, oh, what about these bloody Pakistani sex gangs? It's like, first of all, yes, obviously all ethnicities and sex gangs is a terrible, terrible thing. Don't use that shit to promote your fucking bigotry and your racist ideas. Just saying, well, it's all these brown people, obviously. It's like, criminals are criminals, full stop. And this movie is about a girl who's like 14 years old, I think her name is uh, Tatiana. And she is just stumbles into a pharmacy and she's bleeding all over the place and she's rushed to a hospital and she doesn't speak English very well. And, and then the, this kid is born around Christmas time uh, and they're trying to find out who the kid is, but they know that politically and uh, more importantly, on from a criminal case, pursuit case thing, this links, this baby, because the kid was 14 years old, she has the direct blood ascendancy of one of these Trans-Siberian sort of like Russian mafia heads, as it were, that they could that, that that kid's existence could take down this whole family. And then the midwife's trying to sort of just like stand up to this area, but she's also part of it because she's from a Russian history side of things herself. So she's feels that's like, you know, you're giving our people a bad name sort of thing. Uh the sex trafficking side of it's obviously brought in the, there are two types of criminals in this Kirill, who's the, you know, the 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 family fuck up the Fredo as it were but he's the descendant of the entire thing whereas there's the loyal guy which is Nikolai played by Viggo Mortensen um and it's just it's just grim it's it's brutal it's 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 a very it's an it's it's directed by David Cronenberg and he's like known for his body horror sort of stuff fantastic director but it's the most un-Cronenberg-y kind of film it really yeah. is the least Cronenberg yeah. of the Cronenbergs isn't it yeah yeah but it's and I don't want to say it's mature because I don't want to invalidate his other stuff but it feels his most approachable in that regard it didn't do spectacularly at the box office um based on what i remember i loved it at the time um review wise it, it did very well people really enjoyed it um and it showed a very like an, a seedy underworld that still exists in london and stuff um and and just how easy it's that, that, that's that veneer that surface of like oh everything's lovely we've got this wonderful community of people and it's like yeah but it's all corrupt it's all criminals it's all bullshit and then you find even more deep down that there's actually, you know, a cop working in the whole thing, which isn't even the main front and center storyline, which is fascinating. Um, and it's a really interesting insight into that that whole world and a reminder that just because you're in a very successful, wealthy city and just because very wealthy, successful people have been bringing money into the city, much like I mentioned that, you know, Bob Hoskins in Long Good Friday is the criminal. He's the British criminal who's making this, this thing worse, but he isn't, he's making it better for himself, not the city. This is the example of, unfortunately, something that's been hijacked by racists. The idea of people are coming over here and they are making the city worse. Of being, you know, criminals. But it's true. There are still there are still elements, um, you know, who will buy up like like oh, I'm I'm a respectable restaurant owner. I've got a one. I provide a service for a community. I've got all this money for this property. It's like what are you actually doing? Money laundering for whoever. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And I'm running brothels with you know children in and stuff. It's like fucking terrible stuff. So it is essentially the two sides of it, the internal and the external, how crime fits in and how London seems to be happy to accept all of it. 
I think it's a really interesting film because of the attention to detail that Cronenberg and his team went into, mm, specifically mm. looking into the, like you said, the, the Slavic mafia, the Russian mafia side of things, and having yes. basically no one <laughs> who is actually London Russian, like like yeah, you said, the yeah. mixture of um, different different nationalities and stuff from the cast and crew is pretty spectacular. And like yeah. like Viggo Mortensen's character with his huge tattoos and stuff, there was a lot of controversy mm-hmm. with with that. And they were like, no, we did the research. And he went and uh, Viggo Mortensen went to speak to like the UN guy who is the uh, like expert on organized crime or something like that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. got like interviewed him and went through that process. And I love that kind of stuff where you get that real kind of attention to detail from the cast and crew in that sense. And the uh, I think the most famous thing, even if people haven't seen this film, the most famous thing, and I remember it becoming popular again or coming kind of referenced to when John Wick came out, is the the Turkish bath fight. That oh, was the, Christ, the knife yeah. fight, which is brutal. And there, um, there's this whole thing, like, there's no, there's no guns. I was like... Well, yeah, you're in England. Like, that's not really spoiler alert, America. We don't have guns fucking everywhere, and not every cop just doesn't walk around carrying guns ready to shoot anybody at any moment's notice. We have batons and guns and stuff yeah. there, but they're not really used as as easily and as readily as in they are in America. Knife crime is what we have, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, they have these like the little like box cutter knives that are. And uh, I remember reading a thing with um, David Cronenberg saying, like, why did you choose to use those things? Like, that's the kind of thing people do because they <laughs> yeah. have their day job, which is working in a warehouse and stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's my box cutter. Yeah. What, you know, I'm just, I'm just cutting up those big, like, sheets of plastic. It's a tool. It's this a tool. It's job to use a tool on. Also, <laughs> slit your throat. Like, <laughs> having that thing where you can con- essentially conceal your weapon with a, a legit excuse of, like, yeah, ask my boss. I work in the warehouse. This is this is the box cutter I use at work and all that kind of stuff. There you go. <laughs> Tim Tim brandishing. <laughs> Tim has literally pulled out a fucking knife. <laughs> I mean, that is the thing. The, the rules are like, oh, you can't have a blade that's longer than this many inches. And like, yeah, but I work in on a, on a building site. And it's like, oh, fair enough. Then it's like, well, then that's my new tool for murdering. <laughs> um, exactly. And they're really yeah. they're relatively small. They're these little like curved things i think they're like cutting industrial plastic and stuff like the linoleum things and that looks fucking horrible i don't want to get stabbed and chopped up by (laughs) one of those it's it's heightened because vio mortensen's dicks flopping around you're like that "Ah, that too he's extra sensitive (laughs) (laughs) be careful be careful (laughs) it's like he could take his eye out not his eye his dick hole oh god yeah it's also the fact that the story the attention to detail is brilliant because it shows London again, much like the lockstock thing of like the kind of brickwork you used to like, this looks brilliant. This is fantastic. This, this feels like it's shot in London. Um, you see the docks and the rivers and, and, and just a couple of like, you know, uh, strip light lit pharmacies with, uh, with aisles that are no wider than a single human being. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yep, that's, that's what I reckon. Cause they're crammed in between two listed buildings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, we have everything here, but not space. Um, it's like, okay. But also at the same time, I mean, Eastern Promises ultimately is is the story of of, of immigration and the idea that on one hand, you're like, these dirty, corrupt Russian mob with their fucking oh, awful, awful people. And like, yeah. And one of the main stories is about this nurse who's also descendant of Russian. It's like, you can be a criminal or you cannot. It's how the system is designed because of the situation you, you are born into and ultimately... How you can be born to be something better, which is why this 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 girl that's born this 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 
this infant is so important. It's like, she's just a baby. She's not descendant to a crime underworld. She's mm. not, she's technically British. She's born here. She's British. If that's how you want to grade what is and isn't British, you know, she's um, nationality wise. She's innocent. She shouldn't, she, she, she can go and be a nurse like this character. She could be a part of the criminal underworld like this character, but that's not her fault. And that's kind of the whole thing. Like, I want to bring this one up as well as, uh, as Longer Friday. I think the crime aspect is London sort of serves as a backdrop to people. London for its architecture, for its buildings, for its da -da 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 London court, for all that bullshit. It's the people that make London. And just like everywhere in the world, you have the nicest fucking people in the world who will help you with their last penny and their last breath and people who will do everything to take that from you. And I think it's, it's, I think in all these examples, that's one of the things that sort of overrided quite well. You know, it's like, oh, coming over here in the moors, don't help them. And then what does he do? He goes to London and finds a nice nurse and she's really nice to him. <laughs> she's, even though he's a dog man. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange thing. And I think that's the nature of a city. And I think that's true if we were talking about the Tokyo episode, the New York episode, whatever, we would, if, if they won the vote, any other city we ever come back, because we'd like to come back to these, you know, cities and films as a, as a future thing. It comes back to as much as you think it's about the buildings and the events, it's actually about the people. Agreed. And I'm one of them. <laughs> I'm not sure which way I end up on that on that sliding scale. That's, a, that's a very good question. I'm, yeah. I, I see something bad has happened to you. I'm terribly sorry, but I've got to get home. <laughs> ah, the classic British way. Something amazing or something terrible has happened. That's great. But how do I get home? Mm. What an inconvenience. <laughs> we're, we're terrible. The British public are just the worst. Yeah. Just reminds me of that. I can't remember what recent horrific terrorist terrorist incident it was but the the shot of the guy who like it was people fleeing from an area because sure. something had happened and a guy who had like two pints in his hands because he'd been yes. sta stood outside at a pub and was just like Not running down the street but trying to keep his pints level it's such a <laughs> yeah. that's such a picture of british like keep why, your priorities why are you caring about this when something terrible's happening but also like of course you're caring about that yeah. when something yeah. terrible's happening i think that's an old dara brian joke as well which like the two days after each other you had one day which we we learned that the L london was going to get the olympics and there's huge celebrations in trafalgar square and flags and all that sort of joyous uprising we we're so good oh, we love this country we've got the olympics the next day london bombing everyone's terrified and it's awful and there's just fear and death and blood and it's it's terrible and Darabrian was like, something has happened. It's really important. But how do I get home? Yeah. <laughs> Is the tube blocked? Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds really dismissive. It's because Londoners do that. You're like, yeah. shit, mate, that's terrible. But is the Northern Line open? Yeah. Because <laughs> everyone's going to be flooding it, mate. I mean, I know Piccadilly's fuck, but the Northern Line is not. I might get Victoria. And, and as, as you mentioned earlier, I could always just walk it. But everyone's going to walk it. I'm not going to bother. Well, on that note, we've seen a few different glimpses and versions into real life London, our experiences of London and London in film over the years. We had quite a scope of different different parts of London, different representations of different communities and like a, what, eight, 70, 80 year <laughs> span of time from film to film to film to film. So yeah, I hope you guys have learned something more about London if you didn't, if you've never been or don't know about it and uh, got a few more films to add to your list. Our ever-growing list of recommendations because we yeah. actually get to talk about nice films in the interseason stuff. So go and watch these films <laughs> <laughs> rather than the bad sequels we're usually fixing during the main seasons. 
If you'd like to discuss that with us, you can go to Sequelizers on all the social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find all our links to our Patreon and our Discord at Sequelizers.com. That's the hub of information if you want to buy merch, if you want to contact us, if you want to find out any more information about all the different podcast services we're available on. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all that good stuff. Go and rate and review us on there if you can, whichever podcast service you're using. And if possible, if you're able to, please support us on patreon.com slash sequelizers as well. If you'd like to hit me up directly, I am JLW Chambers on all the social medias. Matthew, how can people contact you on the social media? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. Is that one of those Cockney nicknames? Were you called Stogs as a kid? No, I was called Stoggy. Uh, Oh, that's much worse. Yeah, Stoggy Milkman. (laughs) (laughs) Not even fucking kidding. I was called called Milkman because um, my... my, uh, The thing is, I moved to Norwich and I told them about that and everyone went, oh, okay, is that a sex thing? I said, yes. (laughs) (laughs) It was not. It was because my mum was like, oh, no. And I was quite a short little boy at the time um, in in secondary school and... um, uh, Mum said, "Well, we'll get you the largest size blazer we can. You'll grow into it. I look like a milkman delivering, <laughs> delivering milk. So like, or a milkman. Hold on, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. That is not where I was expecting it to go. Is it because I drank all the milk? I, I assumed. <laughs> and listeners, you might not know this, but we have discussed this a couple of times. It's actually Mr. Stogden's crippling addiction to, to the dairy product known the as the white milk. stuff. The white stuff, exactly. Ooh, teaser for next episode. <laughs> because, good lord." We were trying to work out how much milk Matt drinks the other day. It could be upwards of like a hundred pints a month. In in lockdown, it might be fifty or sixty pints a month. Yeah, that's still mental. That's two pints a day. Yeah, yeah. Imagine drinking not not like on cereal or like in your food or whatever. This is literal in a, a glass pint of milk in a glass. Drinking a pint of milk. That's. No wonder you're called Stoggy the Milkman. And I am, ex- I am exclusively calling you that from now on. Oh, Christ. What have I done? Oh, Tim, do you yeah, have so any it... London-based nicknames or, or other ways for people to contact you on the internet? Uh, <laughs> you can find me at trivia underscore lad on Twitter. Is that is uh, that a Cockney nickname or anything like no, that? Anything? No, no. No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't in London long enough to develop uh, London nicknames. I, I, I was only there for the first five years of my life. So uh, I would have called him Timbles. There's something like that. I'm sure. <laughs> well, stog, stoggy and Timbles. Tim, Timble Shanks. <laughs> hey! <laughs> oh no! Which we've been reacting to. Hey, Shanky! <laughs> That's what I've been. Shanky, what's his name? Tim. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly how that works as well. Yeah. Yeah. Make any yep. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week with more interseason goodness. And uh, as Matt said, there's a little tease, if you caught that earlier, with uh, Matt's crippling addiction to the white stuff. Mm. Milk episode, coming soon. <laughs> Our dairy episode, finally, the moment <laughs> Matt has been waiting for. I would love to have milk and cheese in I knew fun. you. Uh, yeah, of course, you were obsessed with the food one. This is just drilling down so into good. that just even drill, more. Yeah, just more categorised. <laughs> oh, God. We're not doing a milk episode, ladies and gentlemen. Don't worry, but we will see you next week.